Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We are coming live to you from our studios in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. You can hear our radio broadcast each and every day, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, on Global Star Radio Network. We are also streaming live video on YouTube, and audio can also be listened to on Blog Talk Radio. Just as a quick reminder, tonight is audio only we will explain why in a little bit we had a family emergency and it's been a long 24 hours. Everybody's okay, but we will fill you in on what's going on with that later. In the meantime, we have a fantastic show lined up for you tonight. We are going to cover news and uh, some current events in this first segment, followed uh, by John Lavelle of the Warrior Poet Society. WarriorPoetSociety.us is the website, and we're going to be talking with him into the next segment on a number of important things, uh, both some current events and uh, a lot of uh, tactical and other information that he will be sharing with us. And then, in Hour 3, Pastor David Langford, who joins us each and every Wednesday, and as Todd reminded me today, it is the last Wednesday of the month. Now, last uh, month, Pastor Langford missed uh, or was absent from the broadcast, or we were absent from the broadcast, can't remember which one, but we did not get to do the question and answer segment with Pastor Langford. So, as long as he is okay with it, we will uh, bring him on, talk for a little bit, and then open up the phone lines, uh, as we're supposed to do on the last Wednesday of each month with Pastor Langford. So, again, a great show lined up for all of you tonight. Portions of this broadcast are brought to you by Omaha Steaks. Uh, fantastic steaks. you you, you got to try them. Uh, everybody I know who's tried them loves them. More on that later. Well, we got a, a full plate of news. Uh, as always, there's no shortage of uh, news, whether real or uh, artificially created. But there is plenty of that today, and there's a few places that we could start. And I guess uh, we're going to get into Donald Trump. We're going to get into the latest of what is going on with the House Intelligence Committee. Subpoenas have been issued, and despite what the Washington Post and New York Times will say about this, they have issued subpoenas in relation to why names of Obama associates or Obama administration unmasked associates and President Donald Trump himself through in, uh, classified reports that were disseminated inside the intelligence agency. But there's an interesting spin on the story, and we will definitely get into that. Hillary Clinton's back in the news. I don't know how many people saw this. This is kind of a, a story that I just came across maybe an hour before the show. Hillary Clinton, I take full responsibility for every decision I made. 
but that's not why I lost. For some reason, this criminal continues to be given airtime, be invited to speeches, even being paid to give speeches. One of the biggest criminal political candidates in American history, one of the most corrupt and, in my opinion, evil politicians in the history of the United States. Maybe that's because in this day and age of technology, the Internet, smartphones, things are kept less of a secret. It is harder to hide who you are and what you have done, especially when you're such a public figure. And not only that, but, you know, you employ, you know, the most degenerates, the most uh, degenerate criminalistic people, more so than the mafia in your organization. And you wonder why you are called a criminal and why you lost the election. But real quick, we'll just touch on this, and then we'll we'll jump to Trump, because I don't want to waste too much time. Two-time failed presidential candidate Hillary Clinton on Wednesday took responsibility for all her decisions during the 2016 campaign, but then said those decisions were not why she lost. Look, I take responsibility for every decision I made, but that's not why I lost. So I think it's important that we learn the real lessons from this campaign. This is what Clinton said during a Q&A at the 2017 Code Conference. She then discussed how the Russians, <laughs> the Russians were out to influence the American elections, the economy, and unity within the United States. Now, this is not the first time that Hillary Clinton has went on to blame other people, individuals, groups, organizations, political movements for her loss. And she continues to show her face speak at events like the Women for Women International Conference, the 100-year anniversary of Planned Parenthood, and the graduation uh, commencement speech she gave at Wesleyan University. She goes on to say, I was on the way to winning until the combination of James Comey's letter on October 28th and Russian WikiLeaks raised doubts in the minds of people who were inclined to vote for me but got scared off. What's really interesting about this is she does go on to say what came out from WikiLeaks is what changed, maybe has changed people's minds. It wasn't WikiLeaks itself. It was what was released by WikiLeaks after it was given or leaked to them. What was that? It wasn't just the emails. It was the contents of the emails. But you'll never hear that out of her or anybody else's mouth. She goes on to say, And the evidence for that intervening event, I think, is compelling and very persuasive. Well, I don't know how much more we're going to have to see of her in the news. I guess uh, us, me, even covering it gives it more credibility than it should even have or attention than it should get. But what are you going to do? She won't go away. <clears throat> Now, moving on to Trump, there's a, a few things that are um, pertain to Trump and surround Trump that are making headline news. How many people saw what Kathy Griffin did? <clears throat> Kathy Griffin is a, I believe she's a comedian. I know she's been on a number of TV shows. What she has, what she did is she took a picture of a um, a mock Donald Trump, a mock decapitated head of Donald Trump, and posted it online. And I did not read exactly what she 
was intending to do with you know this this head um she went on to say that she does not condone violence that she was merely mocking the mocker in chief well she was actually fired by cnn not that she had a big role there and is it any surprise that somebody who is employed by cnn is running around with a mock beheaded donald trump posting it on internet and, and social media like it's some kind of pinata party <laughs> i don't know it, it, it's funny to me sometimes what these people do but of all companies cnn has decided to terminate their agreement with kathy griffin to appear on their new year's eve program what a punishment apparently she was scheduled to appear with anderson cooper for their new year's eve broadcast maybe she has done that in the past i'm not sure but either way the insanity continues the threats and innuendos of violence continue and we're really going to get into after we get through a few of these stories with trump in this first segment we're going to get to some of the we're going to get to the root the root issues of why we see things happening the way they are why people continue to seem so unhinged out of touch disillusioned crazy not to insult crazy people because there's a lot going on and i don't think many people have been analyzing it properly you're definitely not going to hear a truthful uh, analysis from the mainstream media some in the alternative media get it but many of those people still still go with their their agenda but we're going to try to get to the truth now um in other news this is something that has been being speculated about for a few weeks now the paris climate accord first trump came out publicly and said that he was going to withdraw from the paris climate agreement the 2015 climate agreement then we saw um quotes from him or or people close to him as advisors and whatnot um come out and say you know well he's not sure that he's going to leave the the climate accord uh he he might decide to stay in it if certain terms or and things are changed and certain terms are met well today we see the report trump abandoning global climate pact decision very soon us allies around the world sounded alarms wednesday as president donald trump seemed close to pulling the united states out of the landmark paris climate accord trump himself kept everybody in suspense on the questions of staying or leaving saying he was still listening to a lot of people on both sides of the aisle, but promising a decision very soon. The White House signaled that Trump was likely to decide on exiting the global pact, fulfilling one of his principal campaign pledges. Though top aides were deeply divided, and the decision may not be entirely clear-cut, aides were still deliberating on caveats in the language, according to some officials. Everyone cautioned that no decision was final until Trump announced it. The president has been known to change his thinking on major decisions and tends to seek counsel from both inside and outside advisors. Listening to many different opinions and waiting until the last minute to make a decision, according to this AP article. Anyway, I'm not going to go through and read this whole article except just a few key points. Trump's predecessor, Barack Obama, enacted the deal without U.S. Senate ratification. A formal withdrawal would take years, experts say, a situation that led the president of the European Commission to speak dismissively 
of Trump on Wednesday. That's not a big surprise. Just about every world leader, specifically those who are aligned with globalism, specifically those who are uh, embracing radical Islam, not only embracing, conforming their populations to radical Islam, criminalizing criticism against radical Islam. These are the people of the European Commission who are speaking dismissively of Trump. The article goes on to talk about Trump's mindset in the decision-making. Some argue he doesn't even completely understand the terms of this accord or how important it is. They're making the argument that he is not intelligent. We've seen that. They continue to push that 25th Amendment theory that he is mentally unfit to serve as president just because they don't like the way he thinks. So, bottom line, Trump says he's pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord. No doubt, which is a a globalist, globally imposed deal for the, the, the bankers, for the elite, to continue to grip down on the, uh, as they say, the target is global warming, but the real target is the freedoms and abilities of the people all across the globe. The ability to produce energy, cheap energy through coal. The ability to drive yourself to work, even though your car emits carbon emissions. How many people saw Obama go to Germany to speak about climate change and lecture all the wonderful citizens in the world on how we need to reduce our carbon footprint, how irresponsible we are, as he traveled to and from Germany in a private jet with a 14-car motorcade. And he wants to lecture us about global warming and carbon emissions. All in all, no, it's good that they're withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accord. It is just another United Nations Agenda 21, Agenda 30, implementation arm. So this isn't the first. It won't be the last. They will find other ways to try to snake their way back into the control. And we see that the some of the government agencies, the federal agencies, despite the new administration and their stance on man-made global warming science, continue to dig in by uh, one of the latest examples was in California, they fined a farmer $2.8 million because he did not apply for a permit to till his ground and plant his seeds. That tells you everything you need to know about who really owns your property. You think you own a property, don't pay property taxes on it. See how long it's yours. Anyway, all right, we got about 10 minutes left before the break. The important story that I I find is is important that I want to talk about is uh, there's two things. One, I don't know how many people saw the attack in Portland. I I didn't completely understand it. Where a Nazi Muslim attacked, killed two people, stabbed a third while yelling anti-Islamic slurs in the street. Apparently, at his arraignment, I believe it was today, he was, uh, he had to be removed from the courtroom for saying he was going to destroy and kill Antifa. The media tried to paint him as a right wing Trump supporter, even though his Facebook page revealed that he hated Donald Trump. 
but he also hated Hillary Clinton just as much. And Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate, came out and, you know, tried to tear Trump a new one, saying, look what you, look what the rhetoric and your ideology has, has caused your supporters to do. Well, it turns out the guy was an avid Jill Stein supporter. That thing got deleted quickly. But back to Trump. Obviously, Trump and what? Trump and Russia. Well, a little bit, not really. This is a story about the investigation by the House Intelligence Panel, who issued seven subpoenas today. Now, the title's misleading, because this title from, I believe it was the New York Times, says, House Intelligence Panel issues seven subpoenas in Russian probe. Four are related to Russia's investigation. Three are related to the unmasking controversy, sources say. Now, this is important, the unmasking. Remember Susan Rice? Remember it started with Donald Trump issuing a series of tweets about how the Obama administration wiretapped and surveilled Trump and his associates before and after he was elected president? Not only that, the, uh, oh goodness, who was it? Susan Rice and uh, a few others had to admit that, and, and they tried to cover it up by saying it was um, accidental that the names of Americans were unmasked and that information was disseminated in intelligence briefings to a number of officials, some of whom did not hold the proper classification. It was a big deal, uh, the Susan Rice story. And if you remember, we're going to go through a little bit of history about why it was such a big deal when Donald Trump issued the tweets saying that the Obama administration was spying on him. Do you remember the firestorm that the, that caused in the media? Well, if you don't, I got some examples for you, and it should bring it very quickly back to the forefront of your memory. On March 4th, Donald Trump issued the tweets about the surveillance of Barack Obama, his predecessor, of Trump and the Trump administration and associates during, before and after the 2016 elections. Trump wrote in a tweet on March 4th, just found out that Obama had my wire, my wires tapped in Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found. And he goes on from there. Now, there was a huge backlash to his claims of being surveilled by Obama. New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, every single news organization, just about every single publication that's mainstream, and all their little puppet talking heads called Trump a liar. I'm going to give you a few examples. How many people remember what was said by Don Lemon? Do you remember Don Lemon issued a disclaimer at the beginning of his broadcast the night that Trump accused Obama of spying on him? He even went on to say that he would not aid and embed Trump's false surveillance claims. And he obviously was a, 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 he carried the water for Obama. But the same day that Trump issued those tweets, CNN Don's, Don Lemon came out and said, there is no evidence whatsoever supporting Donald Trump's claim about having been spied on illegally. 
No evidence whatsoever. And I'm not going to aid and embed the people who are trying to misinform you. And he, Don Lemon went on to say much more. Even Media Matters and Snopes got in on this. Right-wing media and fringe outlets falsely claim Faraka's interview shows Obama wiretapped Trump. Now, uh, uh, Faraka is, oh goodness, she was one of the people inside of the Obama inner circle inside the intelligence agency. So we have, and that's just a few examples. We have, uh, Don Lemon, we had Jake Tapper, we had Andrew Cuomo, or Chris Cuomo, I'm sorry, all demanding immediately, the instant Trump released those tweets, demanding evidence, calling Trump a liar, saying, how dare you spread this false news and false information? You have not one shred of proof. This was after six months or more of them continuing to push the narrative without a single shred of evidence, proof, or even a false claim from a witness. All their claims were from anonymous sources. Nobody even had the guts to come forward with their lie. Anyway, this is what was said uh, by PolitiFact as a timeline to the Trump lies on the surveillance. Donald Trump has stuck to the false claim that former President Barack Obama wiretapped him. Here's a timeline of, of how it happened, and there is no evidence supporting his claim. Now they go through all what Trump said, and um, a few of, of some of the backlash from the mainstream media pundits, people in government, uh, you know, like I said, the New York Times, blah, blah, blah. But they continue to harp on the fact that this is an absurd claim. Obama would never abuse his powers this way. Trump is a liar. He makes it up as he goes. He's crazy. And on and on and on. And I'm only through that. He tweeted that March 4th, and there's a timeline on this website, on this article. I'm not even up to the 8th yet, or the 10th. Every day there's at least, you know, five quotes from, from people saying how they demand to see evidence, and without the evidence, there's no proof. And even if there was proof, it wouldn't matter because Obama would never do that. <clears throat> now, when it comes to their narrative with Russia, obviously, we know that the the uh, evidence doesn't need to be shown. All that they need to do is make the claim. And if they say it enough, people will start to believe it. But back to the report on the subpoenas issued, <clears throat> as we're running out of time in this segment. There were three subpoenas issued related to questions about how and why the names of associates of Donald Trump were unredacted and distributed within classified reports by the Obama administration officials during the transition between administrations. The CIA, the NSA, and the FBI are looking for more information on what is called unmasking, even though obviously they already know about it. This article goes on to talk about Republicans on the committee have been pushing for a thorough investigation of how the names of Trump officials became exposed in classified intelligence reports based on community intercepts. And this article continues to go on and make excuses as to how even the unmasking is nothing out of the ordinary. Even though they have continued to say that Obama has never, even Snopes, Obama never illegally spied on any Americans ever. 
James Clapper, head of the uh, uh, NSA, or the head of the Intelligence uh, Committee. There was no illegal spying. No Americans were ever surveilled, directly or indirectly. The article goes on to talk about the unmasking <clears throat> and how the requests of unmasked, unmasking by top officials in the intelligence industry are not rare. But they believe, the investigators believe, that the unmasking of Trump campaign officials during the transition were politically motivated. Now, do we hear Don Lemon? Do we hear the New York Times? Anybody willing to step up and say they were wrong? Absolutely not. They will continue to lie, and they will continue to ignore it. And this, I don't know, we're running out of time. I went long on that because <clears throat> i got a lot more to get into. Maybe um, after this next guest we can get into it. But we have, we are in a war. We talk about that all the time. We are in a war for, for uh, in a, pol- a political war, an economical war, a physical war, an emotional war, and most importantly, the spiritual war. These people have not only declared war on us and our minds, bodies, and souls, they've also declared war on the truth, and they've directly declared war on God. In Psalm 11, verse 3, it says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And if we don't have time to get into it after the next guest, maybe this is a good place to start up and pick up with Pastor Langford when he comes on. <clears throat> I know I get to ask him questions every week, but maybe I'll ask him the first one this week too. But no, I got I got a lot more more to say on this because it's very important. I want to get into how these people, these are unelected overlords and their brainwashed minions continue to destroy the very foundations of not only this country but the foundations that God had established for us since the beginning of humankind. Folks, we will be right back after these short messages. You're listening to this Wednesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. My mind is so like mush right now, I had to look at the date. When we come back, John Lavelle will be our guest. His website is warriorpoetsociety.us. That's warriorpoetsociety.us. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. 
T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniban Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniban Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. edition of the Hagman Report. We got a, a fascinating guest lined up for you. A Mr. John Lovell. Go to his website. It is the Warrior Patriot Society US, Warrior Patriot Society US, and make sure you subscribe to his YouTube channel. You can do that by searching his name, John Lovell, L O V E L L, or right off of his website, there is a uh, video button where you can go to his videos on his on directly from his website and at the bottom of the site there is a Facebook icon as well as a YouTube icon to take you right there. Uh John is um a very interesting guy. I just met him today, talked to him for the first time today. But got to check out some of his YouTube videos and you know we talk a lot about preparedness. We talk a lot of it uh, about situational awareness recently with Bob Griswold. We talk we see the the craziness that is uh, continuing to engulf our, our world uh, from just things that are, happen normally, you know, flooding, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes. Those disasters are, are terrible enough. 
and, you know, cause such devastation wherever they happen. But what about what we've been seeing lately? Political violence, terror attacks, the threat of economic implosions, war with a number of countries, North Korea being the, the first one that comes to mind. When all this stuff happens, or when any of this stuff happens, you know, you've heard from some of our sponsors, whether it's, uh, you know, Alan Riggs with, with Green, of Green Creative, or, uh, Trading Post in the Woods, Texas Ready, The Seeds, Bob Griswold. All these things that you have are a major part of preparing. The other part is knowing how to use them and how to survive with that training. Before we, uh, before we get to, to Mr. Uh, level. I want to bring you a quick word from Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks are fantastic. Uh, dads love Omaha Steaks. It's a perfect gift for Father's Day. How many people are still out there trying to find uh, a, a perfect gift? Does your dad love the grill, but hates the hassle and poor quality of the grocery store? Even me. Don't tell anybody. I got my dad some Omaha Steaks, and I know he's going to love them. Hopefully he shares them with me. But no, Omaha Steaks has the perfect day, uh, perfect Father's Day gift package. Uh, let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how the Father's Day for only forty nine ninety nine, you can get a limited time Father's Day package when you go to omahasteaks.com. You have to enter HH in the search bar to apply the savings. There's so much that comes in in these packs. It's it's unbelievable. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving a limited time offer to our listeners for Father's Day. It really is an amazing deal, which you will get 80% off Omaha Steaks Father's Day package. Listen to what this includes. Two tendered, two tender mild filet mignons, two bold beefy top sirloins, four crispy chicken fried steaks, four juicy boneless pork chops, four all-beef Omaha steak burgers, four award-winning gourmet jumbo franks, 12 ounces of all beef meatballs, one pound of steakhouse fries, one of my favorites, four made from scratch caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packets, plus get four additional burgers free. Again, this is a limited time package, only for $49.99. When you go to omahasteaks.com, type HH in the search bar and add Father's Day package to your cart. Don't wait till the offer ends. Go to omahasteaks.com. Type HH in the search bar. Grab your dad and fire up the grill. All right. Our guest this hour is John Lovell, the Warrior Poet Society, warriorpoetsociety.us. Again, subscribe to his YouTube channel. Uh, Mr. Lovell, welcome to the Hagman Report. Hey, thanks. Uh, yeah, good to be here, man. Well, it's it's great to have you. Um, since this is the, the first time you're coming on, how about we... Uh, do a little bit of introduction, and, and you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, and how you got into what you're doing. Yeah, sure. So I run an organization called the Warrior Poet Society. The idea is where it's a call for a more elite protector. Well, you know, we're really interested in, in three different kind of aspects that go into being a warrior poet, and that's uh, maximizing conviction, it's intellect, and it's great skill and in, in being good protectors. So, uh, Conviction means, you know, we, we're motivated by higher purpose. Uh, that may be God, country, family, whatever higher purpose is for you, but we're men and women of conviction. 
Uh, we're also care to maximize intellect. We understand we uh, rule the animals not because we're faster or stronger, sharpest claws or sharpest teeth. It's because of intellect. And I believe that's how we'll rule our enemies as well. And then skill and, and defense or violence so that we'd be able to protect those we love. So uh, we're protectors who are motivated by love and informed by intellect so that we can train hard and train smart to be a uh, efficient protectors. So that's kind of what a warrior poet is. The warrior poet society uh, is really driven around uh, the social media content that it puts out of I'm constantly doing YouTube videos all the time of uh, and just a myriad of different subjects of home defense, situational awareness, uh, trip, uh, pro tips to shoot pistols and rifles better, uh, you know, uh, just different tactics, low light stuff, gear reviews, you name it. It's, it's pretty fun. I'm about to release an interview I did with a professional hacker on cybersecurity. I'll probably launch that tomorrow. Fascinating, real fun stuff. Um, so, uh, sounds like, uh, anyway, that, yeah, that's kind of the media that's going out. And then the uh, training aspect, I'm a professional uh, firearms and tactics trainer. That's that's kind of my full-time job. And so I travel around the country uh, just teaching firearms and tactics to folks. And you, you're also a formal, uh, former special operations soldier. Uh, yes, with that's the 75th correct. the 75th Ranger Regiment. That's right. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's fantastic. And, you know, in, the, in, in this country... With our rights becoming uh, coming under assault, the the Constitution, uh, you know, being undermined at every turn, from activist judges to, uh, you know, political action groups to politicians, we need not only do we need people to own firearms, but those people that own them need to know how to use them. And this is the man to talk to uh, when learning how to effectively and tactically use your firearm. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what I do, man. <laughs> yep. So where do you want to start tonight, John? We got a, a bunch of subjects we can get into, a bunch of avenues we can we can start out with. Um, man, I'm, I'm going to turn I it over to you. All... And we'll, we'll... Okay. Really, I'm, man, we just had a whole host of just different questions and topics, and I was hoping you would kick uh, oh, you, right. you would start the start the serve, and we'll just kind of see where it goes, man. Well, I got a good one. I, uh, All right, bring it on. Watching your, it. your one of the YouTube videos I got to see today was the uh, more recent one you did on the Manchester terror attack. Right. And in this video, um, and folks, again, go to John Lovell on YouTube, J-O-H-N-L-O-V-E-L-L, or you can just go to his website and hit the YouTube button and subscribe there. Um, so Man, Manchester, you, uh, we had... Go ahead. Yeah, you are hooking me up with the plugs. Like, I want to get off the phone and go check my stuff out. I mean, good job, man. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, but yeah, a lot of people yeah, have books to sell. Like, man, a lot of people have on, events to promote. It's really well, easy. Real, it's just a YouTube uh, yeah, channel. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, but, yeah, Manchester. Let's let's do it. Yeah, so we in Manchester, we had this, this horrific terror attack where a suicide homicide bomber uh, goes in there with a, a bomb full of ball bearings and nails. And, uh, and targets a, a you know mostly female younger crowd as it was a pop uh, icons event that was that was hit and we saw a lot of chaos in the arena i don't know how if if you've watched some of the videos uh, many people I did thought see it were some of the footage yeah at first yeah. there was a lot of confusion uh people were kind of trampling over each other 
And we know a lot of times with these terror attacks that the uh, first detonation is not always the most effective or the last. As many times they try to uh, set off a bomb, you know, with as much damage as they can, leading people to another direction where they have another device waiting to detonate to create more uh, damage. Thankfully, that did not happen this time. But from what you saw, uh, what what are some of the uh, things you can tell our audience that you noticed and, and maybe things that they could avoid in the future if they find themselves in this situation? Sure. Just kind of overview, just my, my visceral thoughts and my reactions. And some of this was put in the YouTube video as well. And keying off something that you said, if they thought it was popping balloons and it was very confusing. Typically, I tell my students, whether it's in firearms or tactics classes, I'll say, guys, if I was to describe any battlefield and whatever your battlefield is, it could be from a law enforcement perspective, it could be a military or it could be a responsible armed citizen that got uh, you know, uh, just in the wrong place at the wrong time, like these Manchester folks. Uh, I, I, the typical word that typifies any type of battlefield like that, I use the word confusion. And that's what it is. And so uh, I get a little bit of a, you know, unfortunate chuckle when I watch folks that just don't know any better. They'll watch different movies and they feel like, you know what? If I was in that position, I know what I'd do. I'd jump out of the window and do two aerials, back tuck, land on my feet, draw two pistols, and single-handedly execute Al-Qaeda, you know, and, and, you know, we have these pipe dreams of how we would respond in different scenarios, be it an active shooter scenario. Uh, I I talked to somebody who just, uh, one of my students, uh, this was probably within the last maybe year, uh, and he, during kind of like a home defense class that I was doing for him, he quite honestly said, yeah, I was, I was working at a mall, you know, as a manager at, at, at some type shop. Someone pushed, put a gun over the counter, and I had thought if somebody ever did that before, I would do X, Y, Z. He says, but before I knew what was happening, I realized that I had leapt over the counter sprinted outside and I didn't realize what I had done until I was in the parking lot. He's like, I just straight up ran. I had no idea I would do that. And typically under, unless you have a, unless you have specifically trained uh, to react to certain very, very stressful and violent environments, you don't know what you'll do. Uh, e- even me, who has been tested by fire many different occasions, uh, there's no guarantee I would perform particularly well. So as people are just confusion, maybe this is a just kind of a rabbit trail, but as you just said, confusion, and, and you're talking about readiness and preparedness, and a lot of folks think that they can just kind of sit in front of their computer, think it through, develop a little plan, and say to themselves, you know what, if something like that ever happened, uh, to me, I would do X, Y, Z. Uh, and there, and, and I think it's important for us to have those thoughts. It's important for all the listeners and to, to, to kind of make those micro plans. Hey, if I was here, this is what I'd do. And that's a good, healthy thing. But it's an entirely different matter to assume that you would actually perform that way. Because the fact of the matter is, until you've trained under intense uh, stress and, and, and violence, and a lot of times that's my job uh, to bring about uh, uh, calmness and proficiency under great amount of fear and stress. It's it's part of how I'm 
I make my money is stress inoculation, if you will. Uh, and none of it even really guarantees I've performed very well in gunfights and I've performed less than I would have hoped for. <laughs> and I'm here by the grace of God. But, uh, r- regardless of one thing that we, probably one of the most critical things that we could do is be able to think clearly in such situations that we we would understand this isn't popping balloons and th- and understand that you know as as all the chaos ensues and breaks loose and you don't know what to do or where to go and then you see a gunman and you imagine that you would do xyz but now you are frozen in terror and you never imagined you would be gripped by that fear as well uh one of the best things you could do is seek out training beforehand uh, to help inoculate you from the adverse effects of paralyzing fear. Absolutely. We talk on this show a lot about how, uh, not necessarily fear all the time, but how when we allow our emotions to control our, our thought and actions, our thoughts and actions, how it's usually the wrong choice. Um, it, emotions can be great. At the same time, they can be dangerous. Uh, depending on, sure. on how we uh, understand ourselves and how we act on those emotions. One of the things I wanted yeah. to ask you about, because you, you did mention this, you know, you don't know how you'd act in, in certain situations, and a lot of people like the Monday morning quarterback and say, you know, well, I would have done this, I would have done that. Uh, and those are some of my favorites. They are some of my favorites as well. <laughs> yeah. You try yeah, to be nice, watching, but... <laughs> yeah, Good. when I was watching the uh, uh, footage of the... The aftermath or the, what was transpiring with the Manchester Arena attack, I saw two things. I saw uh, people screaming, and then there was kind of a, a herd mentality where people behind those people in front screaming, can, the screams continue to move backwards, even though there was one event. Obviously, people didn't understand if the danger was still there or not, and there were uh, you know, more than a dozen of the people blown to bits right in front of them, so it's obviously understandable that these people would be completely out of their mind, freaked out. But it spread yeah. throughout the whole arena. And then you saw people, uh, even though the, the uh, bomb was in the in the foyer or basically in the outer hall of that arena, the whole inside of the arena, which was full of people, you saw most, you know, begin to scream, run, uh, kind of knock over people, a little bit of trampling over people. Little girls were jumping off 15-foot railings. Uh, with no immediate danger around them. Not that they knew that for sure um, after what just happened. And then as if you watch the video a little bit longer, you see some of the people who are left just casually walking out. And yep. I thought to myself, you know, uh, the first thing I would I would do in a situation like that is look around. If I don't spot the danger, the, to me, one of the most dangerous things you can do is if you see a crowd running in one direction, automatically just go along with that crowd because... Uh, you think it's the right thing to do, or if you don't see the danger, I, I think that's very important. That you know, we need to be aware of what's going on around us. We need to be aware for an immediate danger if there is danger. Uh, if we go one way or the other, but to instantly right. react, obviously, none of us are in that situation. But on the other hand, if I saw a bunch of people being blown up in front of me, I might be screaming like a girl, putting my hands in the air, running away too. So, well, I love that you said it. Yeah, yeah. I love that you say that. And I think the very first sobering thought we should all have is, I don't know what I would do. I hope I would do X, Y, Z to ensure that I have a higher likelihood of performing that way 
I am going to do the following things in my little individual holistic training regimen. Uh, but I, I think a lot of folks just get caught up in that wild spreading, uh, fear stampede, uh, where they're not, they're just not able to process how much, how, what percentage of that crowd believed beforehand that if they ever got in this circumstance, they would perform like they did. I, I dare say very few of them would ever dream that they wouldn't be able to think clearly or, or see. And then you can get, you know, auditory exclusion, visual narrowing. You just kind of, your, your senses just kind of shut off. You're not able to process the world. We kind of become big dumb animals under fear. And so a lot of that's difficult. I think approaching this subject with humility is a good thing. Uh, just like me, just because I have performed well in the past is no guarantee that I will do so well in the future. And so I think approaching it with humility, recognizing that ultimate equalizer of fear is not something to be taken granted, uh, and it's, it's, uh, kind of in our assumption we pigeonhole ourselves so that we're going to be unsuccessful in the moment. So um, I think that's probably the first step. If you don't have humility, you're not going to seek training. If you don't seek training, you're not going to be inoculated against the stress and fear that's going to happen, and we're going to fall right into that running herd, even though we had told ourselves we wouldn't. Being able to think clearly amidst fear and stress is everything. Well, well let me ask you this, and I agree with you. It's uh, one thing to train for scenarios like this. It's one thing to, at least, uh, you know, when you're playing sports, Basketball is a great example. You know, the, what coaches like to do is you have one or two go-to plays where you run them constantly. And they say, you know, they want you to run them so much that if you had to, you could run them in your sleep. So when you're tired and the game's almost over and you need to make that play, you know, you have that one or two go-to plays that you've practiced so often that you will be able to execute it with no problem. How? Yeah. But you can only get so much training for life or death combat type situations correct sure and and when i say training i mean it in the broadest holistic sense possible uh when i when i read the bible or i read the art of war when i read uh stephen pressfield's gates of fire that is training to me uh when i go work out at the gym or i go for a run that is training uh, when I go down to the range and I'm just trying to burn it down, shooting and moving, that is training. Uh, when I am running towards something that, you know, gets my adrenaline up or causes me fear, I'm like, ah, oh, that's a scary thing. I should go do that more. <laughs> that's training. Uh, whenever I'm miserable and just, uh, you know, uh, um, yeah, uncomfortable, that's good training too. Whenever I'm thinking through the philosophical and theological problems of Am I willing to die for that? Uh, am, you know, of uh, could I take a life? What would I take a life for? Would I die for my family? Would I die for your family? Would I die for the family of someone I'd never even met? Would I die for my country? Would I die for my country as it is now, or would I just die for my country as I, yeah, you, know, you know, as as it used to be? You know, if those are all the different questions. That you gotta be able to, to think through. And uh, I think people will ask them too 
to uh, answer them too quickly oftentimes. Like an active shooter, a lot of the conventional wisdom is, is you know, uh, hide or run. Don't 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 try to do the white knight thing because that oftentimes ends very very badly. Also, there's some states that have a duty to retreat clause, which basically is if you can get away. As if I understand this correctly, I'm not a lawyer. As I understand this, this means that if there's an active shooter, or if there is someone breaking into your house and you can get away, you must get away. You can't close on that right. threat. You can't, right. you can't go through and eliminate the threat. I'm not in that state. I live in Georgia, where yeah. if somebody is committing a, fel- a felonious act and I'm armed to the teeth, I get to come bring the fight. I get to come out and play, uh, in which case uh, you know, I can go to work. Uh, now, yeah, the ethical that's dilemmas. What it should be. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if you're course, in your house, you should, you should not have to retreat. I mean, uh, I'm in Pennsylvania. It's a standard ground state, too. And ah, I believe good, yeah. that I don't. I mean, if you don't have to use deadly force, I don't think you know you should if you can help it. Um, of course, but that doesn't mean you should have to be. You, you should have to retreat in your own home as you're being, yeah. you know, robbed and assaulted possibly by an armed uh, gunman. That you should have to to when you have the means and the wherewithal to defend yourself. Uh, I don't agree with that whatsoever, and it's unfortunate <laughs> that those laws are even on the books. I, I love that you made the delineation there between you know loss of life and uh, and, and property as well. Property is not worth dying for, and it's not worth killing for either. Uh, that's why I have car insurance and house insurance and every other type of insurance that uh, I got to have. I mean, it's kind of like that's all right. I've got insurance. Go ahead. <laughs> that is def- definitely fine. You want my wallet? Here you go. Yes, I am able to kill that person without them ever really even see me launch my counterattack. But allow it this. I will give you my wallet and pay for your life so that you may go away. <laughs> and that's if I don't feel threatened. If this guy has, you know, if, uh, if I read the scenario differently and I say, no, this guy, th- he's not just looking for property. This guy may actually hurt someone. Then I'm going to respond differently. But yes, but I like that you made that distinction. Uh, you know, we're, we're not—I'm not looking for a fight. I don't like fighting. I've done it enough. I, I want to live a peaceful, nice life, and I love people, and I don't want anyone getting hurt. Uh, and uh, you know, we, violence is kind of a last resort, necessary tool to protect life. And if we're going to be great lovers of people, I think that we uh, need to to be great warriors so that we can protect those people because the world is not a Friendly place, and it seems to be getting worse. <laughs> well, what makes you say that? No, it really is. <laughs> Gee, golly, I don't know. Do you own a television? <laughs> yes, yes, I yeah. do. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is getting crazy out there. And uh, what what's even crazier is, you know, in a, in a nation where that was founded uh, among uh, constitutional lines to the point where. It, all these things were, were, were thought of and, and drawn out and were supposed to be there as protections uh, for the people against uh, from governments, not for yeah. governments to be able to use to go and enforce you know different laws and regulations on people. But they've continued to gut the Constitution so much. It's so bad. The political divide in America, the I'll call it the liberal insanity that I see, it's political insanity because it's on both sides of the aisle, is so bad that 
to, to say that you stand for America or that you're proud of America or even flying in a flag, an American flag, you're considered a traitor, an enemy. Uh, if you own a gun, you're an extremist. Yeah. And these are all the things that this country was founded on. And it's absolutely mind-blowing to see. Not only, I mean, you expect to see these, these satanic globalists to, to try to push these agendas through. What you don't expect is the people who've been blessed by being born and brought up in this nation to go along, uh, you know, with their brain-dead herd mentality and, and try to force it down everybody else's throat. And, and what I don't understand is if you hate America so much, you hate the law so much, go somewhere else. Yeah. But anyway... Um, John, we're up yeah. against a, a break. Yeah, sure. All right, Let's folks, you're listening. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. Our guest uh, in through the next hour is John Lovell. His website is the Warrior Poet Warrior Poet Society dot us Warrior Poet Society dot us. And if you search his name on YouTube or you go onto his website and click the YouTube icon, you'll find it. John Lovell, L O V E L L. We will be right back after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right? You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that can happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke and fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. 
For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. of the Hagman Report. We have a special guest with us. And folks, I want you to check out his website, warriorpoetsociety.us. That's warriorpoetsociety.us. And from there, you can subscribe to John's YouTube channel, which uh, I had a chance to play around with and look at earlier. He's got a bunch of uh, very informative uh, videos uh, ranging from a number of topics. Uh, from survival to preparedness to uh, self-defense to uh, a number of other things. I would urge everybody to check that out. Uh, before the break, we were talking about the the climate in this country, the uh, political climate that really has uh, spiraled out of control. And we know that the forces behind it are not really of this world. And that's a, another conversation for another day. But... John, what what do you recommend when we see things happening, uh, especially from this last election cycle, you know, Donald Trump being one of the presidential candidates, obviously the winner, Hillary Clinton the other. There was a number of rallies, each of them held, and Trump had a lot of enthusiasm and a a lot more uh, people in attendance at his rallies. And it was the area where some of the people from the opposition would come and start trouble, start fights, start violence, and they would turn around and, and blame that on Trump. But that's besides the point. I don't remember a time, in, I'm only 34, I don't remember a time in history where, you know, people would get beat up for walking down the street with a, a Trump hat or a Make America Great Again hat or attending a political rally just because the opposition uh, despises what you stand up for. And I think it's only going to continue to get worse. Uh, because the level of conditioning and brainwashing by the people in charge of the public has seemed to work to a great degree. Um, yeah. So I said all that to say this. From attending a political rally to even showing support for, we'll say, somebody like Trump with a, with a, a T-shirt or a hat or even a bumper sticker on your car, what type of... Uh, what do you suggest? Well, obviously, these, the people who do this now are being targeted. And it's become dangerous in certain cities like New York City. Uh, people have been getting beat up on the subway um, and in many other places, you know, uh, getting assaulted just for, 
for supporting their political candidate. In this intense uh, increase, the atmosphere of violence, any suggestions on what the average politically active person can do? Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. Um, you know, uh, I, politics is one of the areas in life that, you know, you hear people uh, from a, maybe a different mindset say, you know, never talk about politics or money or religion uh, because it'll just, and so they really just try to defer and they don't want to talk about those things because uh, they can be potentially incendiary. Uh, but if you eliminate those things, you just eliminated kind of everything worth talking about in the sense that everything's kind of based off that. It all hinges on that. Um, right, it's everything I'm, important. I'm, yeah, so I'm not very politically outspoken. Uh, and, and I think that that's something that I need to grow into. I guess probably if I had a, an explanation, not an excuse, my explanation would go something like this. My The conduit which I receive information through is the media. Do I trust the information that I'm getting is uh, good and um, uh, holistic so that I can make good decisions based upon it? Uh, and so it's kind of like a, if you answer that question with no, then you have to choose between being misinformed or uninformed. And either way, uh, I, I don't like either of those options. That, that, and they're mutually exclusive. And so I think a lot of the social media stuff that's going on, stuff like we're doing right now is a way to kind of sidestep mainstream media because I find people want truth. Uh, some of them do. Sorry. A lot of people want truth. I want truth. I really do. Even the painful stuff. Give it to me. I can, I'm a big boy. I'll take it. Um, but uh, anyway, I really do want truth. Uh, some folks want their truth. Uh, and that gets into the kind of the up, uh, other side. Uh, so, you know, uh, you mentioned political division. Man, are you right on that? We are so sharply politically divided that, that it, it, it's, it's not like, you know, we have different political preferences now. Like as if, you know, you like chocolate and I like vanilla, which by the way is the better flavor, objectively. Uh, no, uh, it, but it, it's not like we just have different preferences. It, it's that the, uh, you know, the liberal, um, typically has an entirely different mindset like an entirely different epistemology in which they process the world through. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah, it's... very much. And, and, and because of that, uh, all of our presuppositions are so diametrically different that, of course, uh, all, we're going to come to very different conclusions. And if I started with their presuppositions, I'd probably make some more arguments. Uh, and, and, but, uh, you know, of... So I, I guess that's just speaking to the sharp and unfortunate division, which I think is far less having to do with preference. I think the issue is more of a root concern. It's a, it's a heart issue. It, it's a kind of in the inner deepest recesses of what builds your worldview, worldview and philosophy. There's just so wildly different that the two sides can't even communicate because we can't even understand where the other one's coming from. And, and, and you know, in that in that uh, in that world where it's humanism versus some type of theism, 
you know, or deism, whatever ism that you are on the other side of, of, of humanism. Uh, the other looks like devils. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a millennial just like you. We're, me and you are the oldest of the millennials. You said you're 34, I'm 35. Uh, so we're the very oldest of the millennials. And our generation just sucks. We just suck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so is that fair? Is that fair? Oh, it's very fair. And you got into <laughs> so, something that I really, uh, I wish I could get, had more time to get into in the first segment, which is yeah. the, you know, the, the, the level of, of the differences, um, between these two, these two groups and the spiritual nature behind it. Because this is just, it's more than just people and, pe- uh, followers of people and influence getting these yeah. ideas and moving this agenda forward. There is, and always has been a a spiritual darkness, uh, a satanic movement, and unfortunately, these people have fallen victim uh, to this delusion. And I'm not saying that Republicans aren't under that delusion. Republicans are just as much under that delusion. And this is why we have to make the the distinction that you know, let uh, the left and the right, for the most part, are the same on the same team. You have, you know, a few standouts from each each one who want to tell the truth, but the spiritual forces behind this um, have have really done something to uh, social enge- to socially engineer the society in a way where they have commanded complete control over these people's mind under a fault by changing the perception and reality that uh, some, with some form of new age spiritualism uh, consisting of fake compassion. And the right not to be offended, and it is uh, contrary to any and everything a free society stands up for, yeah. and that's very frustrating. The the top virtue uh, of the uh, of our generation, me and yours, it, the millennials, which is the biggest generation now in the United States, making it uh, quit growing in power as the builders or the boomers are uh, passing the torch. We are already the most powerful generation now and will only gain power uh, which is terrifying because we have no idea what we're doing Um, the tolerance is really our top virtue Uh, one of my favorite writers he's the guy I I read to really just kind of make me think he's a philosopher 20th century philosopher G.K. Chesterton and Chesterton said uh, that tolerance is the virtue of a people without convictions Meaning, if you don't really believe anything, one way or the other, tolerance, tolerate everyone else's, uh, you know, perspective or, 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 or viewpoint. I think tolerance is important. I don't want to minimize that, but to d- exalt tolerance, the top virtue is going to result in really, really bad things. Now, my big problem with, if tolerance was really it, then great, but even our millennial generation, and as it's really working out to Trump rallies and and Hillary rallies as Trump supporters are being attacked and beaten down because they're wearing this, this is being done by those millennials and, and otherwise from the left who are espousing tolerance, 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 and then they go out and they're very, very intolerant. It seems like their tolerance is nothing. Yeah. Tolerance as long as you agree with us. It, it has to do with, and I'm not comparing them to Hitler at all. I'm just saying, hey, here's a 
uh, syllogism. It's uh, Hitler uh, would give peace. Hitler was all about peace, peace on his own terms, which was intolerable. <laughs> you couldn't do that. Yeah. Uh, in, in which case, of you, you can't do that. And really, peace, which is given by the left, is only on its terms. And they they say tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. And then it, you, you know you'd be like, well, I believe. God, you know, the God of the Bible is the only one, and they freak out. But they're not tolerating the that idea. <laughs> Do you remember the days, uh, maybe twenty years ago, where the, one of the biggest criticisms against Christianity was, "Well, I don't care what you believed, but just keep it to yourself." Yeah. And you know that was the attitude of people who who were not Christian. Now, just as you said, just as you said, under the false guise of tolerance. And I wouldn't call these people Hitler either, but I will I will call them similar to Nazis because I believe the next leader uh, of that kind of group that gets elected very much could turn into a Hitler. It's just the, the way that the atmosphere, the attitudes, and, and if history repeats itself, it could be you know very dangerous. But the the, the under the guise of of tolerance, they only tolerate what they feel is right. And what they have been told to believe, anything else is hate speech. They're not even intolerant. They're basically, you know, they're they're. When I see the the uh, the rabid political people on the left doing, is it's called I believe it's called projection, where whatever they're guilty of, they're going to throw at you. They're going to bl- yeah. you know, oh, yeah. what do you mean you don't like Hillary Clinton? You're racist. Uh, <laughs> just this craziness. And they have absolutely they're intolerant isn't even a good enough word for for how these people are, and I believe it's getting to the point where if, if their leader gets in place, if there's a leader with that kind of extreme belief, that we will truly see uh, what intolerance is, like in persecution days of, of of the original Christian church. That's my concern with these people. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a simpler guy. I never dreamed Trump would get elected. Uh, I, this shows you how much I know. And Obama was uh, running for his first term. I looked at him and said, "Here's a guy who won't, you know, wear the American pin. Whenever all the other candidates are lined up, hand over their heart. He's standing there, folded hands, refusing to say the Pledge of Allegiance." And I watched that. And even with the name Barack Obama, I said to myself, "There is no way." Absolutely no way. If I was playing the stock market, I would have gone all chips in. No way that guy gets elected, and he gets elected. But no way a second term, and then lo and behold, no way President Trump will become the presidential nominee for the Republican Party, and he makes it. No way he beats him. And so I, I, I'll, I say all that to say I don't know. I can't see it. I don't have that. George Orwellian foresight. Uh, I don't understand how it all works out. But I do see kind of the writing on the wall in that uh, elimination of the First Amendment uh, and the attacking of the Second Amendment, which guarantees the First Amendment. Uh, It's hard to not, on a daily basis, uh, search any, any news platform for headlines and not see both of those under attack, uh, the, the political, the muzzle of political correctness, uh, you know, uh, and, and 
intolerance, which is so seethingly intolerant. Uh, and then I see an apathetic public that is very checked out. And really, I understand why. A lot of them are in my position where they're I'm like, well, just they're either so busy just trying to survive or they have to choose, like me, to be misinformed or uninformed. So I love what Trump has been doing. And, you know, you may love Trump. You may hate Trump. You may be mixed feelings. I don't really care either way. I'm just saying I love how he's sidestepping the media. I love when he calls them false, fake news. I, I love when he goes, and, and you know, if, uh, maybe uh, some of what he, he does, and some people would say that that's a terrible idea, and he needs to stop that, and that's unwise. And maybe that, maybe some of, you know, his tweets or his ideas about how to communicate, maybe that's ill-advised. Maybe it's a bad idea, but it's a fresh, it's a breath of fresh air against the stifling nature of really kind of getting uh, being slaves to the media I like that he just bypasses them all together and be like no 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 I, I guess I like the conviction I guess I, I like that he's not so political I guess I, I like that he seems to be a real person <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, just kind of a tangent, but you went political. I'm not very political, but these are some of my raw thoughts. No, ab- absolutely, and I, I appreciate you you sharing them. And uh, you know, we uh, I'm not going to get into the whole history how we got into the this radio industry. We worked as private investigators for a long time, doing workers' compensation fraud and, and other types of fraud and investigations. Kind of started as a hobby. And um, it, it's it's picked up, and, and we've uh, you know continued to to move ahead. But yeah, I all my life I never I would you know I paid attention to sports. I paid attention to any and everything I could. To not I mean we'd be on an investigation, and my father would put Rush Limbaugh on, and I'd about break the radio. You know, and yep. it was just me yep. being immature. But I didn't want nothing to do with politics. Started yeah. you know once you start getting curious and you start looking into things and you and you get the understanding that. The world is absolutely not what it's presented to be uh, by anybody, you know, little, your parents to the TV. And you start, you know, finding certain truths uh, about what's really going on. I mean, it, it, with this, in this information age, uh, you know, there's a lot, a lot to learn. There's a lot of disinfo out there, but there's a lot to learn. And sure. it's like the sports left. I mean, I, I still find interest in it here and there, but yeah. It's like you're uh, you're 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 fighting an uphill battle getting into politics. Uh, you know, like yeah. the the drug police shoveling, you know, one teaspoon of water out of a, a whole ocean full. But at yeah. the same time, somebody's got to call these people out and identify what it is they see uh, as craziness. And I believe that you know we're, this country's worked up so much up into a frenzy that uh, it, it's just unbelievable. And you know whether you like Donald Trump or not. Personally, I don't care. One thing I did not want to see under any circumstances was the Hillary Clinton presidency. And yeah. now that we see these same people trying to undermine Trump's presidency, not even really give him, giving him a chance to get some things done. And if his goal is, is as stated, you know, making the country great again, um, he'll be the first president that I'll actually give a shot, you know. Um, I'm yeah. going to keep the, the leash tight on that, though, because you know how these people are. But it's it's yeah. a chance. I mean, it's a it's a glimmer of hope. Sure. So you sure. want got to fight for it. 
Absolutely. You know, uh, my background is, uh, uh, you know, fighting, security, guns, and we have all of a sudden, I just had a, a guy carried away talking to me about, I don't know, just kind of the philosophy, socio-political climate and stuff that's not really in my wheelhouse. It's not my strength. I'm just a dude kind of trying to figure some stuff out. This isn't my, you know, my expertise. And I think we may be remiss if we don't visit some of the stuff that only I could or uh, I would better speak to than some of the other uh um, folks here used to. So, is there anything uh, kind of you'd like to circle around and and talk about from a security yeah, or gun fighting abs- perspective? Let, let, let's let's Absolutely. do that. We're probably we're like, hey, why do you got a spe- ex special ops guy <laughs> talking about politics? Let him tell That's us how my to fault. kill everyone. <laughs> That's my fault. No, no, no. Uh, we got carried away, man. It's, we we did it. I, I was uh. <laughs> all right, let's dance. Once, that. What do you got? One of the one of the things that we can do when we get into these kind of discussions and and uh, you know, get a, an overview of what's going on, and we talk about this a lot. Is, is solutions? What can we do to improve our chances? What can we do to um, to work together and building a community and a community security plan? I want to get into that because yeah. it's um, you know so many people the way we live today, right on top of one another, but nobody knows sure. our neighbors. Um, you yeah, know. And, and let's talk about that. What we can do to just in general, preparing ourselves for anything, whether it's Mother Nature yeah. or, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of Bernie supporters running down the street. What do go. we do as a community or, or with ourselves to uh, engage in our community and get our community on board? Very good. Um, to speak to the problem first, uh, you know, my wife and I got into this show probably a uh, maybe it was a couple years ago, and it's called Doomsday Preppers. I'm sure everybody listening in has watched it, and you have too, right? Doomsday Preppers, is that the name of it? I've heard about it. I have not seen it, though. Okay, well, anyway, it's kind of like a re- reality-type thing where they go around and they find folks that have uh, prepped from around the country, and they look at kind of like, all right, how much food you got stored? How about water? How about firearms? And they go out to the range, and the old man shoots a little bit. And really, I just started watching this with my wife, just out of kind of entertainment, and I I saw huge storehouses of food and water, supplies, medical, firearms galore. And you'd have this dude with like a 100,000 rounds and every gun you can think of. And I'm just kind of looking at this from a security aspect, looking at his fortifications, looking at his plan. And what I did, I was, I was an Army Ranger, which meant we were, we're the premier raid force uh, for the military. You want, oh, you want a city raided or you want a few houses taken down? Send in rangers. It will be taken care of. We're the premier raid force. That's what I did, conducting raids, taking over structures, taking down parts of cities uh, or cities, depending on the size and, and who we were brought to play with. But that's kind of that was in the wheelhouse. So it's kind of applying my tactical brain. Okay, here's a dude. He's got his house. It's set in whatever place, whether it's rural or urban setting, depending on the episode. And it's just him, his wife, and his two sons. And they've got all these guns. I'm like, man, how, who's pulling security in your post-apocalyptic whatever? Uh, is it just you with all the guns? Do you ever sleep? 
is anyone else cross-trained in these guns? How many of those guns can you shoot at the same time? Then typically I'd see guys who just hadn't really thought it through. He didn't realize that if something ever happened, I don't know what could happen. I don't know. Uh, these questions are above my pay grade. But if you entertain the idea that something may happen and you want to prepare yourself and your family, I think it requires... Uh, a little bit more than just stockpiling food and water and resources, guns and ammunition. If your plan is just to stockpile it up, you are saving it for someone who can just come through and take it all. In 99% of the episodes I watched, I realized single-handedly I would be able to come and take everything that they had, and they wouldn't be able to stop me. I'll also say there was a few guys in those little episodes, and it was entertainment, so I'm not trying to overthink it. And a lot of your listeners, will, if they're kind of in that vein of thinking, I don't want to start a you know fight here of like, try to come get my stuff. Man, I'm not challenging your stuff. You got it. Good job. Yay for you for good plans. So I'm not picking a fight here, but I'm just saying a lot of the preps, because they didn't have a community on board. It's the lone wolf, I will survive with my family until Jesus comes back kind of mentality, like you didn't need anyone else. The two biggest preps I saw in that when we're talking about kind of communal security plans, uh, communities coming together, that awareness is to realize it, it would take a community uh, to stay safe. Cut off, you're easy. You're easy. Uh, with a community, though, where you're pulling together, pooling resources, there are strengths in numbers. There is no army of one. It's the silliest slogan. Maybe I never understood it right. I should understand it right. I was in the army. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> regardless, regardless, pooling resources and having a tight-knit community, I think, is probably your most important prep. You know, uh, folks, uh, you know, typically when I'm in the training world, and so folks, uh, folks hire me out uh, kind of like, all right, here's our group. Teach us, you know, concealed pistol. Make us fast and accurate. Here's our rifles. Make us fast and accurate. Here's our uh, the talk with us about our home defense fund. I'm at, in a couple weeks here. I'm flying up to the northeast. To uh, there's a real neat dude, uh, and he's just trying to make a holistic security plan, and he's flying me up to give him a security audit of his premises uh, and talk through security plans and do some various weapon training. Uh, but my first thing, I told him, all right, this is before we even pull up to your house, I want you to just drop me off the curb, and I'm going to spend some hours just out uh, walking your perimeter and thinking, if I was a bad guy, how would I take this down? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of fun stuff. Just planning a, a raid, uh, if anything. But kind of the biggest uh, you know, tools of preparation, I think, is to have other people who are of similar mind and also training that we can come together to make communities safer. Separated out, we're just too easy, too vulnerable. I'll let you get in here now, yeah. and you can yeah, steer you're the exactly ship. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, John, we're up against the, our network break. Um, but, no, great points. And, uh, you know, a lot of one, one thing that came to mind is uh, a lot of people uh, – like myself sometimes are antisocial, you don't want to be bothered. Uh finding a, a, a way to uh you know break the ice between neighbors. Uh there's a lot of ways and a lot of things that, that can be done. We'll we'll talk about that in another show. 
Um, sure. Because it is really simple. You just got to find the right opportunity. Folks, we will be right back after these short messages. Visit warriorpoetsociety.us. Warriorpoetsociety.us. We'll be right back after these short messages. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Masterpreps.com, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from cooking utensils, cooking frying pans. I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Erickson. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman the Hagman Report family, masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Chang Post in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to 18 major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Remedies Kit. It contains 12 homeopathic remedies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Remedies Kit at www.changepersonwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. You can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. We are talking with a very interesting guest. He has a, a, a fascinating background and is a, I guess you'd say, an instructor, a teacher of, of a number of things, including uh, guns, weapons, 
home defense. Um, he is a, is a former soldier himself, special forces. He uh, trains with with uh, you know with tactics, with security, concealed carry, and so much more. Um, and his website again is Warrior Poet. Oh goodness, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I got it right Society. here. Society.us. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're Jeff. doing awesome. Warrior Poet Society.us. No, it's been a it's been a long day. None of us really got any sleep over here, so our brains are our brains are mush. But before the break, no we were sweat. talking about the the community building a community and a community security plan. It's one thing to know your neighbors and to you know interact with them, and and uh, it's another thing to start getting into certain topics. Uh, you know, are you a prepper? Because usually you have to start getting into political and, and religious beliefs when you get into these kind of discussions. Do you have uh, more practical ways to go about doing this that would not, we'll say, uh, say you have a you know Hillary Clinton's number one fan who lives across from you, and you're a big Donald Trump guy, um, but you want to reach out and you want to get to know your neighbor, you want to um, build your community and your community security plan. Any suggestions on how to? How to go about, you know, dealing with with people who, uh, you know, either hate you for what you believe or or uh, think you're crazy for even just wanting to to get together. Yeah, sure. Again, this isn't really in my wheelhouse as a uh, tactics firearms instructor guy, but I, I don't mind speaking to it at all. I just, I guess, I'm speaking so often as an instructor. I want to be very quick to say, but this is this is fact. This is theory based on fact and this is just me thinking through through stuff so uh yeah as i just think a lot of this is just going to be real subjective that's very very unique to me uh personally i really like people and even the ones that try very hard to make me dislike them i try to resist so even somebody who has wildly different beliefs than me uh you know first off i just want to be sensitive to that and and try as hard as i can to to really meet them as just a human being and let them know, hey, you know what? I like you and we can disagree on all kinds of stuff. It's cool. I've got your back and whatever. Just try to make a friendship. I think if, um, you know, uh, there's a great, uh, theologian. He died back in the eighties. One of my favorite dudes, uh, great, greatest philosopher and theologian I can think of, uh, just kind of all rolled into one package in more modern sense. Francis Schaeffer. Died in 1982. But he said, love on display is the most effective apologetic. Apologetic is defense of the faith. And so for me personally, I just, uh, that, that's, that's just kind of how I'm put together of, uh, you know, I, I think that right there of just showing kindness and, and, uh, mutual respect and love and honor and letting her know, hey, I think she's important or he's important. Um, I think that can do a whole lot. Uh, to step across, you know, the party aisle and establish some goodwill. To, you know, her just normally, if, you know, just we have a difference, she'll look at me kind of like I'm just this crazy gun-toting, uh, you know, Yosemite Sam conservative. And she's not really, no, I mean, I got kids and a wife, and I'm just trying to be a good dude and, you know, of... Yeah, we have different political things, you know, beliefs, and we have different uh, views and stuff. But uh, you know, I don't wish you harm. I, I like you even, and uh, I think that right there—that's probably one of the most powerful ways 
to start winning someone to your way of thinking is investing in them and letting them know you care and and allowing them to be free to just kind of calmly disagree listen to their arguments and thank them for giving them don't just contradict them uh, you know, be like, oh, well, thanks, thanks for sharing that. I can see if I believed in such and such how you arrived at that conclusion. But have you considered that if this was true, d- does that make sense? You know, just kind of offering my opinion, not in a heavy-handed kind of way. Now, especially with my generation, the millennials, all those words were very careful in how I picked them and how I postured them so as to not allow you know people to get out of their own way if you bring a heavy-handed authoritative argument and say hey that's stupid and this is the only way you may make a point but you never change anyone's mind uh and some won't have the uh uh the some people say that's stupid i don't want to have to do that and i'm like great then you're gonna do a great job rallying your side You'll be right. You make points, but you're not you're not changing anybody. You're just loud. Um, so that's my yeah. own kind of personal ways of how I'd conduct myself in that environment. Of I want people to know, hey, I like you. I'm for you, even if we disagree. And I think that that uh, that goodwill is what uh, what um, wins people over. People know you like it. You know, love covers over a multitude of sins. People know you love them. You can get away with just about anything. <laughs> you can be just a uh, antithetical, philosophical, political views and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, believe in all kinds of stuff, but they know you really like them. They'll forgive you for a whole lot. And you can be friends. And out of that friendship, good conversations that result in, in maybe changed opinions and forward progress can result. So, um, that's just me. That's how I roll. Well, you know, uh, that, that's a, a, a biblical way uh, at the same time. You know, you got to lead by the example and, and treat others how, how you want to be treated. And, sure. you know, as a Christian show, we need to understand that um, no matter who we're dealing with, we still need to live uh, under the commandments and the way that the Lord told us to live. No matter, you know, how, how much somebody might hate us or, or, you know, state their dislike or whatever the case may be. And, and, you know, it might not happen right away, but that's how, how trust and, and respect are, are earned. And, right. uh, if you, you know, if, when we're talking about forging relationships, uh, that's, you know, that's the way it might have to be done sometimes. So, uh, sure thing. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely great, great advice. Thanks, uh, let's, if we can, we move on, uh, we only, cause we only have, um, let's see, we got what, about 20 minutes left of this interview. Yeah, should we talk, should we talk guns at all or anything? Yeah, that's down what that I was just gonna, the next question, best weapon for home defense. Ah, good one. All right, cool. So, um, yeah, I, I get this all the time. I did a YouTube video on it as well. Best weapon for best gun for home defense as well. And it's kind of a difficult question. The, the first answer I'd run to is, well, what do you have competency with? Uh, what are you really comfortable with? You know, um, all, you know, military guys, special operations guys, SWAT team guys, they're all clear in rooms with what? Do you know? Um, M16? AR, yeah, 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 and really the more modern equivalents, the M4 carbine or the AR-15. And there's a reason why our most skilled operators are using 
that platform or similar platforms. It's not with pistol, and it's not with shotgun. Um, so my M2 are, Browning is no good for home self-defense? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> and again, I'd real quickly say, hey, what, what are you real competent with? Uh, really, the, the you know, it, I think it's it causes unneeded damage when all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, my pistol and my 45 or well, my Mossberg or my, and everyone gets real upset that you have a different opinion for some reason. But no, 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 he yeah. gets to like his own gun. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I, I do prefer an AR. I'm very good with an AR. I, I will hit them. Exactly where I wanted to in a, in a very small amount of time. I'll be able to control it. it it'll be, uh, yeah, I can uh, maneuver around angles inside and around structures very effectively. I have all my accessories and lights and optics all ready to go. And uh, with an AR, I am very switched on. Pistols are harder. If you can get away from a pistol, you should. An AR-15 style gun or a shotgun is much better in many different respects. And those respects would be um, uh, the damage they would inflict when they hit. So you could say killing power. Uh, the uh, accuracy, it's far easier to be accurate with a shotgun or an AR than it is with a pistol. Pistols are very, very difficult to shoot accurately under time constraints and stress. It's very common even for folks with training, uh, though they can hit the target at five yards every time when the clock isn't ticking and when they're not under stress, uh, to conversely under stress and fear to miss the target every single shot for five, six, seven rounds when it's in front of them. It's amazing all the studies that have been done on this. ARs, even with someone that's untrained, uh, that can just kind of point and shoot, and then you got 30 rounds. Think about ammo capacity. The wonderful my AR holds 30 rounds. That's a lot of chances. The killing power is fantastic. Uh, the accessories very very good. The ergonomics allowing me to mitigate recoil to manage my recoil is fantastic. The rate of fire very good. My wife didn't really like the AR because it just looked so scary. She thought no. That's something that's more militaristic. And she wanted the cute little tiny gun with the pink slide until we went to the range and she shot them both. And though the very quickly after a couple rounds, she's like, wow, the tiny gun is miserable to shoot. I hate it and I can't hit anything with it. But it sure did look cute. And then she shoots the AR, which barks very loudly. But there's not, not a lot of recoil. It's just kind of like it's like a little tiny bump. It barks real loud, but it doesn't bite hard unless you're on the other end of it. Uh, so the AR for a home defense is wonderful. She can handle that. Now, I could run to shotgun if, if uh, you know, one, there's expansion of the shot group. It's not like people think. They think that if an intruder's on the other side of my house, I point a shotgun at them uh, 10 feet away. It's going to, you know, kill anyone that's on that side of the house standing and really, a, a shotgun uh, grouping is an expanding at about one inch per yard. Uh, so, you know, if they're 15 feet away, that, that's, a, that's, you know, just a, a, a five-inch group. That's not as huge as you thought, right? Right. Um, so, uh, in, in, anyway, if 
uh, you still have to point, you still have to aim. And the difficulty with a shotgun is I'd like my home defense choice to be fit to the weakest shooter in the house. Uh, my wife, who's trained, she's good to go, but I fear that in the midst of a fight where she's terrified, freaking out, after she fired the first round and out of fear, would she preemptively, you know, fire around too early? Uh, would she have the fighter mindset in that quarter second response between rounds to be able to rack uh, the shotgun, cham- you know, uh, you know, uh, chambering an, an, another round to do business with, and I just feel on, uh, in those situations something that was semi-automatic would be much, much better. Uh, I don't know whether she had to have the fighter mindset to rack a second round, even though she could do it on the range. I don't know. In the dark, terrified, 3 a.m. I'm not home. Whether she would. Um, and Scott's just did a lot of them will kick like a mule. So if you're going to go shotgun, I recommend a 20 gauge. Uh, let's see. And um, if it's too long, it's just real hard to wield around corners. It'd be nice to have a light on it, a white light, and I want blinding power on it so that when you hit them with that white light in the eyes, they're seeing stars for five minutes. It just shuts them down. I'd like that. Uh, shotguns can be a fantastic option in the sense of nothing puts people down like a shotgun. You hit somebody with triple up bucks, center mass at five yards with a shotgun. That's it. They're done. Game over. Uh, so um, I- anyway, uh, there, there's pros and cons. The, the pros for a pistol, it's very easy to uh, make it rapidly accessible. You know, you can kind of tuck it, put it anywhere, little hand safes, and it's very easy to wield around, uh, you know, structures. Just hard to hit stuff with it, and it doesn't do a great job in terms of stopping threats quickly. Not nearly like an AR or a shotgun would. So these are kind of the conversations I have with folks, and this can be really, really... Folks get very upset. They get very... uh I guess particular about their weapon system and say, well, absolutely, I disagree with this guy. This guy doesn't know anything he's talking about. I've got my Colt 45 and it's by my bedside. And if anybody ever breaks into my house, I'm going to give it to, you know, it's kind of great. Then use that gun. That's fantastic. Just get good training with it and understand there are strengths and there are weaknesses regarding your weapon system. Jesus did not ascend, descend on a cloud holding your Taurus 45 and say, this is the end all be all. You know, if there's strengths and weaknesses, uh, pick what you think is best. Listen to guys like me who may bring up things you hadn't thought about before and, uh, understand that if you, you know, if you're, if you're switched on with something, the, the best gun is the one you train with. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um anyway that's that was a lot of talking. Go ahead. No, 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 it's uh, very informative. And uh, me personally, I had uh I took a a, a class, a gun gun safety gun training class, and I had a, a 45 caliber that was probably my favorite handgun. It got stolen in a in a home burglary, but uh I haven't found a handgun that I like as much as the 45 caliber how it worked for me. But a, a, a shotgun Very good. too. I, I um, you know, we should talk about calibers. Shotgun, uh, twelve we gauge should. around, and, and it's um, I, I've never shot it yet. It's relatively new, but yeah. you know, um, 
you have to be aware. You know, if you're in your house, somebody breaks in, and you're going to be into a gunfight. How far are your bullets going to travel? Could they penetrate? You know, uh, your walls, the neighbor's walls. There's a lot of, sure. of um, reasons that you need to consider what type of weapons you would use for your your home defense. Um, and you can toss a grenade yeah. out, but you're going to destroy half your house. So, uh, there's smart <laughs> especially ways, there's grenades in the movies. <laughs> the grenades in the movies are oh epic. yeah yeah they're like little miniature atomic bombs. <laughs> it's just massive. Yeah, it's like how explosion. the same thing for the cars. How they make the cars blow up in the movies never happens in real life. But yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, look, you want to talk pistol calibers and just tick everyone off tonight? Sure. Yeah, why Absolutely. not? Pistol Heck calibers. Eric said yes. So, you know, there's an older school of thought that's like, you know what, I like a 45 because my 45, I just want to hit them once. You hit them with a 45, they're done. It'll knock them down. Knockdown power is why I like a 45. Uh, it's not, some of them are so committed to the idea of the 45, the great 45 caliber that they say, you know, if I, if I just shoot it anywhere near them, they're going to die of fright because it was a 45. Uh, it's an older school of thought. The 45 caliber is dying. Very, very quickly. 45 is going out. What we found is it's not a slightly larger diameter bullet. Like, say, for instance, from the 9mm up to the 40, up to the 45. The extra diameter is not what's putting folks down quickly. It's the placement of the round. That's what it is. It's the placement of the round. Uh, most, uh, you know, law enforcement agencies, they're carrying Glocks for a reason. Uh, and they're, they're going in 9mm in droves. Competitive shooters, 9mm. Professional trainers, especially the newer wave that are shooting faster and more accurate than anyone ever has before. That's our generation now. We've got the fastest, most accurate shooters ever walking the planet right now. They're all shooting 9mm. I carry a 9mm for a very good reason. And here are the reasons. One, with the technology now of uh, different defensive rounds, the expansion and, and damage that a 9mm is doing in a defensive round is something close to that of the 40 and 45. There's not a huge, huge difference anymore. And in fact, sometimes the 9mm is killing even better or stopping the threat even better in, in, in some instances. We've got a lot of data on the 9mm, but there's just been too many instances over the last decade of compiling all this data where they're like, all right, this lady was shot seven times with a 45, and uh, she got up, she got in her truck, and she drove away. Uh, I, on my YouTube channel, I uh, interviewed a, a cop down in uh, Florida. His name is Jared Reston. He got shot seven times with 45 ACP close range, and two of them were in the face. I interviewed him. He was shot a lot with a 45, and guess what? It did not kill him. He was smiling. We're laughing and joking. I'm talking about the will to fight. That's an interview on my YouTube channel. Uh, but anyway, it's not doing what people thought it was. Uh, so what you're trading out, well, what you're trying to gain in the 45 is you hit them once in the finger and they lay down dead. No, 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 it, it's the placement. Would you rather hit them in the shoulder with a 45 or in the forehead with a 22 short? And you say, oh, well, the 22. I'm like, yeah, it's the placement of the round. Now, anyone that can shoot a 45 well can shoot a 40 cal faster and more accurately because of recoil. 
Also, the guys who are shooting 45, usually they have such shot anticipation problems. Me as a trainer, it presents unique challenges where it's really hard to get them to stop anticipating the shot, which is the main reason folks miss. Shot anticipation bleeds into bad trigger control. Bad trigger control moves into imparting movement to the gun during the, the shot cycle, causing huge variance in accuracy. Usually a right-handed shooter shoots down and left, and a left-handed shooter shooting down and right. Uh, because of a multiple different compounding negative reasons. So uh, typically, you with a 9mm or something, you can carry twice the amount of rounds. You can shoot it faster and more accurately, and it's far less expensive so that you can train more. Make sense? Oh, absolutely. Now, to absolutely. all your listeners... Sense. All your listeners, you guys, if you lo- if you are just in this romantic love affair with your 40 or 45, you get to still like that, and you get to carry it, and that's fantastic, and it doesn't mean your gun is junk. Uh, I've got different calibers around my house. Just the one I conceal carry every day is 9mm. I also carry a little Silence 22 around with me or Suppress 22 because America and uh you know um i've got different rifles uh that uh travel with me so um anyway and understand i'm i'm not chicken little thinking the sky's falling this is my profession i'm a firearms and tactics instructor so i'll carry a little more firepower than the common man uh but um anyway if you like a different caliber you get to keep liking that and that is just fine uh but we are um understand there's a reason why seemingly the vast majority of pro trainers ask them what they're carrying and they'll say yep Glock 19 you caught me uh, and there's other good guns too MPs and uh, whatever yeah. so John we got about three minutes left of the interview um, I don't know if there's anything that we did not talk about or hit on that you wanted to talk about I know there are a few things before the show we mentioned uh, if we yeah. had time to get in and we could well, what about um, spotting threats in public? Sure. Um, so what we're looking for is threat indicators. Threat indicators are letting me know that bad guys are around, and typically that manifests itself in uh, uh, different body language. Uh, one of the first and most obvious is, you know, of profiling what a person looks like, what they're wearing, and this is definitely not a fail safe as some folks who are bad guys look just like everyone else but some bad guys look like bad guys and it's the first thing you notice and so though it's not politically correct uh, detectives what are detectives except professional profilers of people Uh, that's what they do they profile people They, they stereotype in some sense because it's it's not racist. It, it's not bigotry. It, it's the law of probability, which they are forced to live with in the reality of every day on the streets. So that's typically what it is. Um, it, you know, pay attention. Who doesn't look right? Uh, other things are look for people who scan. Most people are so immersed in their technology, they don't look up and they had no idea whether 30 people were standing around them, two people, or whether they were alone in their, you know, cafe. Uh, but have your head up and see who's scanning the room. Two people scan the room. Three people. Uh, you know, uh, bad guys scan the room looking for the good guys and scoping out the area to see whether they can get away with their crime and who presents a threat. 
good guys also scan the area looking for um, bad guys. And then everyone else who's scanning the room that are looking for uh, romance. <laughs> and those are three very different scans. The yeah, good guys scan typically is smooth and it's, uh, yeah, not jumpy. It's not in a hurry. It'll start from one left, all the way left, work all the way right, pause over different people, return to them. Uh, and if you meet their gaze, they don't look down or away real quick. They'll go ahead and give you the good guy nod. Hey, man, I see you. Okay, cool. Yep. It's the good guy nod. Bad guys have more of a jumpy scan to them. They look left, look right, look down. Uh, look, uh, kind of cut their eyes up while their brow is still pushed down. Uh, look around, and if you meet their gaze, they'll quickly look away, as if they've been busted. Different, different, different. Um, you know, uh, posturing of bladed stances, flexing hands, fidgeting, cold sweats, or, or um, you know, flushed skin, uh, thousand-yard stares. Uh, you know, a, a dipped chin. Is protective, shoulders rolled forward, rocking on the balls of feet, weight on the toes, uh, you know, threat focusing, staring at someone. All these are threat indicators that allow you to know somebody is planning something bad. And by the way, all of these individual traits are kind of, if you pick these in one, you know, there's one, you'll think everyone's a bad guy. Uh, so it's kind of meaningless to have one of these, but when you pair two or three of these up, it means a lot. And so to be able to get good at this, you can really look at a crowd of a 100 people and immediately spot the anomaly. And that's what we're trying to do in our situational awareness training. Uh, John, you've taken us to the end of the interview. I want to thank you so much for joining us. WarriorPoetSociety.us is the website. Uh, go there. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. Again, that's WarriorPoetSociety.us. John, thank you so much for coming on. We look forward to talking with you again in the future. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to have you. We'll be right back, folks, after these short messages. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. Stay tuned for a network break. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In Three Days in the Belly of the Beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. 
Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. edition of the Hagman Report. Each and every Wednesday we have Pastor David Langford who joins us in the third hour and on the final Wednesdays of each month we and Pastor Langford has been kind enough to uh, do a question and answer with the audience. We're going to be opening the phone lines in a little bit. We've got a, a few announcements then we're going to bring Pastor Langford on then we'll give out the number and open up the phone lines right after that. But yeah, it's it's an unlisted number, by the way. Hey, folks, Doug Hagman here. Hey, Joe, thanks for uh, carrying the load here the last, uh, well, last yesterday and today. And I suspect you're going to have to carry the load for the remainder uh, here in the near future, the remainder of the week, perhaps. Uh, folks, if I could just have a minute of your time, I just want to, uh, a couple of things. You, you know, yesterday morning I started out, I had my... Uh, I was sitting at my desk and I had my schedule planned out for the entire day, including including what I was going to do after the show, what I needed to get done, and uh, you, you know it, it's uh, uh, don't uh, uh, don't take anything for granted. I mean, you make you make your plans, and uh, obviously things uh, the, the the plans are not necessarily uh, how. Your your plans that may not be your plans or God's plans, I should say. Um, it's saying you make plans and God laughs. Yes, exactly, exactly. So uh, I just want to explain my absence here or the last uh, day and today and continuing here for just for the next day or two. Um, last uh, right before showtime, I got a call uh, to go back to my uh, to to go home. Uh, my wife was having some really severe abdominal pain, and uh, to make a long story short. Uh, she was taken to the hospital, and she underwent emergency surgery, abdominal surgery, at three o'clock this morning. 
and that was the two and a half hours worth of surgery. She came out at 5.30. I'm not going to get into the diagnosis or the details of that. You don't really, it's, it's, uh, um, but she is expected to make a full recovery. Uh, however, that certainly is, it's not where I expected to be at that time. Um, so I just want to make sure that each and everyone listening out there, folks, please don't take your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, those closest to you for granted, because things do happen, and um, you just never know. And I also want to thank Joe, Eric, Jackie, John, uh, for stepping up and filling in for me. Uh, Joe, Eric, and Jackie, troopers that they were, were with me uh from the earliest uh, hours of this morning to the uh, until about eight thirty, I'm, I'm, they're all running on fumes. Eric's over there, and I, I when I walked into the studio, his head is resting on some buttons, and I'm not sure what that means. And uh, but anyway, it's it's working out well. But the the, the main reason that I'm I'm here is if I can indulge you, folks. I as I left the office. Or left the the hospital um, to to come here just for this purpose. My wife asked me to uh, just ask you, the audience, to to um, for prayers, for prayers, because prayers work. We believe in prayer. The power of prayer works, and uh, we need them. We need them because we are under a spiritual attack. Uh, of course, the physical aspects uh, manifest themselves, um, but we're under spiritual attack. And, you know, if I sound a little bit discombobulated, that's because I'm not sure what day it is. I'm not sure what when the last time I uh, was in bed. But uh, and, and I could say the same thing for everyone here in the studio as well. But um, so, so, again, I don't want to drag this out. I just want to ask for your prayers on behalf of my wife uh, and also ask that you hang with us as we continue to expose the machinations of the people that are behind murder, that are behind uh, child kidnapping. Uh, the, Of course, the Seth Rich case, that is in full swing. Uh, the investigation there and my plans to get to D.C. this week, obviously not quite, uh, not quite ready for prime time. Uh, however, that doesn't mean we are giving up. Uh, so if, if you're looking for uh, investigative reports from me, they will be tardy. So I just ask for your, your forgiveness and for your a little bit of time. But I also ask uh, that you please uh, say a prayer for my wife, and, and I ask uh, Pastor Langford uh, uh, for the same. With that, I have to uh, I have to leave. Uh, I have to get back to, to the hospital. Is again, I expect we expect a full recovery, but I just want to stop in and uh, share that information. Let everyone know as if you didn't already, that, that we're all under attack. And, um, and that includes you. You're not, you the listeners, the viewers, you're not immune to, to spiritual attacks. You're not immune to attacks at all. I want to thank each and every one of you. And I especially want to thank my daughter Jackie, my son Joe, and Eric, and John. Well, thank you for that. And obviously the prayers will continue. And we want to thank each and everybody in the audience out there for your prayers and your support. We can't thank you enough for that. Pastor Langford, are you with us? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? 
loud and clear. Great. Uh, another week, and we are at the last uh, Wednesday of the month. And, Pastor, I didn't get a chance to talk to you before the show. Uh, you up for doing some, some question and answers? Sure. Uh, I got a couple emails had been sent in previously. Can I share those real quickly? Yeah, and then what we'll do in the... Um, Maybe starting nine twenty nine thirty ish, or whenever you're okay. ready, uh, we'll take we'll take the calls. Sure, sure. Uh, one dear sister said, "What is your position about the teaching regarding the three harvests, wheat, barley, and grapes, and that the rapture could take place in three stages according to the harvest?" I'll be listening to H and H tonight since you are on Wednesday nights. Um, that's impossible, and the reason I say that is because. Half of the coming of the Lord is the resurrection. And I've, I've taught this, I have preached this to try to get pre-trippers to understand there cannot be several phases in the second coming of Christ because you only have two resurrections. John five twenty eight twenty nine. Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. So Jesus only taught two resurrections. So to be uh, uh, the rapture to be in three stages relative to harvest, wheat, barley, and grapes would not synchronize with the scriptures regarding the resurrection. One of the great things we fail to embrace is the resurrection. We talk about the rapture, the rapture, the rapture, the rapture, the rapture. One thing that you never hear prophecy teachers talk about is the resurrection. Job himself only believed in one resurrection for the righteous. He said, for I shall see him with mine own eyes. And Revelation, I mean, Job chapter 19. And in one other passage, the wheat and the tares. Uh, Matthew 13, 30, let both grow together until the harvest. Jesus did not talk about multiple harvests. Singular, let both wheat and tares grow together until the harvest and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my garner. And then when he gives that explanation of the wheat and the tares, down further on in the chapter, in verse 38, he says, The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. So the harvest is the end, one singular harvest is the end of the world, or better said, the end of the age, and it will be up to the angels to do the reaping. You find some of that in Revelation chapter 14. Then another person, uh, and Pastor, Diego, I'm, I'm sorry? If you don't mind, I, I want I have a question here that kind of fits sure. in with what you said uh, and, and you know the a few things on the on the pre-trib versus post-trib rapture. You know, you talked about this years ago that you bl- believed it was a, a more a specifically a difference in terminology instead of the rapture. It should be called the the resurrection. And yes. you know, wh- one of the a few verses that that uh, stick out to me about this is you know Matthew twenty four twenty two. Except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake. Those days shall be shortened. That's just one. Um, and another one in, in Matthew 24, the dead in Christ shall rise first, followed by those who are left alive and remain. And But but this leads me to a, a different question uh, that was posed to us. We didn't get a chance to ask you last week. 
there's a few different types of, of beliefs about when you die. Um, if you go right to heaven or hell, or if you sleep in the ground until the return of Jesus. And the verse I just stated in Matthew 24, the dead in Christ shall rise first, followed by those left alive, would be the uh, one of the verses to uh, justify that question. Okay. I do not believe in soul sleep. Now, First Thessalonians 4.13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, the body is asleep, but not the soul. Because when a Christian dies, they go to be in the presence of the Lord. Even before Jesus was resurrected, the rich man died, he went to hell. Lazarus, the beggar, went to Abraham's bosom. That is a place the Bible deems as paradise. Why? Because Jesus had not yet conquered death and hell. Hebrews 2.14, that through death, he destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. But Jesus had not yet conquered him, death and hell. So when he arose out of the grave on the third day, we find his words in Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and of hell. Amen. So keys are a type of authority, uh, even people who have uh, natural keys, keys to a door, keys to a lock, key to a safe, key to a car, is a type of authority, because you have that authority to get into that locked building or to that safe or whatever the case might be, safe deposit box. So that means that, excuse me, that he took the power that they had previously possessed and stripped them of it. So now... After his resurrection, we even see in Matthew 27, even some of the people that were dead in the graves, they came out, walked through Jerusalem, but they died again because that was not the eternal permanent resurrection. Uh, then in uh, Ephesians 4 and 9, it talks about he led captivity captive. In other words, he led a procession out of paradise into heaven. So now when a Christian dies, they go straight to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. You know, Jesus told the thief on the cross, Today shall thou be with me in paradise, not heaven. And I believe that's where the doctrine of purgatory uh, became established from. But Second um, uh, Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 7, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and rather willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So Paul is telling us now that Christ has rose from the dead, conquered death and hell. When the believer dies, we just go straight to heaven. But when you die physically, it's just like you go to sleep. And that's why Paul would use that term so often. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Not soul and spirit sleep, but the body. And, and that's really what happens to the, to the believer. And thus, in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, 56, Paul said, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is of the law. So the child of God knows nothing about the sting of death, because we have been covered in his blood. Jesus took that away and nailed it to the cross. But the sinner that's not born again, when they die, regretfully, uh, they go to a devil's hell. And um, that's not uh, popular preaching. That's not pretty preaching. That's just the truth. And uh, as I said some weeks ago, those are the things you're never hearing preached about 
in churches anymore is about sin, about hell, about eternity, uh, because that's not popular preaching. It's what appeals... Preaching has become a sensual thing. It appeals to the flesh and not the spirit. The Holy Spirit, Christ, and His Word appeals to your spirit and not to your flesh. So, I hope that answered that question for you, Joe. Then I had one other person says, I have heard two different arguments about when the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us. Number one, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us at redemption or our born-again experience. And number two, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us only at the moment when we are baptized in fire in the Holy Spirit. What is your take on this? And this is from Diego. Um, the new birth, Romans 8, 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. How do we get that spirit? By becoming born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. So that's, that's, the, that's, that's the adoption. That's, that's being adopted into the family of God. And, of course, to be adopted into the family of God, you must be born again. And that's how you receive the adoption is through the Spirit. I think I shared that the other night on Romans 8. Uh, 15, therefore we cry, Abba, Father, because His Spirit now bears witness with our spirit. Then there's the baptism in the Holy Ghost, something totally distinctly different. Uh, John was, of course, baptizing and baptizing in water unto repentance. But he said this in uh, Matthew 3:11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Even John the Baptist understood that there was a distinct and separate baptism, not like his, of water, but one of the Holy Ghost and the fire. And then we know that to be doctrinally and factually true, because in Acts 19, beginning at verse 1, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? They were believers. Paul said, Have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. So they were disciples of John the Baptist. That's why it says in verse 1, and finding certain disciples, they were disciples of John the Baptist. Then said Paul, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And um, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So that is the distinct difference. And so one, I, I use this analogy. Um, you can fill a glass with water, and the glass is filled. Even John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit of God from his mother's womb. But the Holy Ghost baptism had not yet been given. And we know that because Jesus said in John seven thirty eight, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Now watch this. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, 
because that Jesus was not yet glorified. How can you then receive something that had not yet been given? See? So that's why he's told the disciples in Acts 1, carry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And that's the key. And if that, the, the scriptures are clear, they're concise, they're precise, they are synchronous. And if we look at the scriptures correctly and interpret them correctly, we know there is definitely the baptism in the Spirit to be a child of God, which also baptizes us into the body of Christ. We're, we're many members, but we're one body. And then we go on to this baptism, which is baptism in the Holy Ghost. And we're not, I'm not going to get into the gifts of the Spirit, but we, we know that there are numerous baptisms because uh, Paul in Hebrews 6 and 2 of the doctrine of baptisms, plural. So there is a doctrine that teaches multiple baptisms. As I said, John had one. First uh, Corinthians 10, 11 tells us about Moses. They were all baptized unto Moses. Again, a type of identification. The disciples were at Ephesus here in Acts 19 were John's disciples. So that's also been a, a identification uh, as to who people were following or who they were converted under, and we have that uh, dichotomy there showing the difference in these men and their baptism. So those were fundamentally the two I had sent so they could get answered tonight while we were on the air. Okay, fantastic. And uh, we're not, we, we don't have to take a network break this uh, hour, Pastor. Okay. And the phone lines are open. We're going to give out the phone number. It is 844 Two nine four four. That's eight four four seven six nine two nine four four. We're taking questions for Pastor Langford, and with Pastor Langford, and we ask that you keep your questions brief, and allow others to get on the phone, uh, because as always, when Pastor comes on, we have uh, a number of people who have questions. So we're going to try to get to as many as possible. Again, the number is eight four four. Seven six nine two nine four four. Pastor, I got a question. In the meantime, while, while the phones are filling up, that I started answering. It's it's an emailer for, by the name of Christine, and she says, uh, "Hello, we all talk about the mark of the beast, and I have a question for you. Why is there a mark of the beast? We all know there will be some kind of implementation to show if you uh, for you to be able to buy or sell if you have the mark." I'm just wondering what do you think the reason for the mark of the beast is? And then she says, thank you for your, your response. Now, I started to respond to this via email, um, but boiling it down, what I said is, uh, just off the top of my head, you know, the Lord marks, the Lord has uh, knows who who's, who the people are that are his. He has, you know, marked them with the, the Holy Spirit are inside them. And then there's that in Ezekiel where they take the, the hot coal and they mark um, those children who are of God's. Satan likes to uh, copy and duplicate everything that the Lord does. So first and foremost, I believe the mark is a mark of allegiance. It is a mark of of worship. And at the same time, the minions of Satan who receive this mark are already absent the mark of the Lord. And that does not, and, and therefore, um, I believe that, that Satan wants his own mark. And we know in the Bible that this mark is so devastating that if you take it, there's no chance of redemption. That's right. Very well said. I could have said it any better. It's all, again, about loyalty. Who do you worship? Uh, That's why in Revelation 14 and 9, 
And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture under the cup of his indignation, and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. And here's always a verse that you never hear the pre-tribulation rapture you use, but here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And of course, they'll always tell you, that's tribulation saints. But nowhere in the book of Revelation will you ever find the word tribulation in front of the word saints. That's all conjecture, that's all heresy, that's all fallacy, and they put that on there, tribulation saints. The Bible doesn't say that. All it says is there are, there are those that came out of great tribulation. It doesn't even talk about them being saints, just those who've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is, like you said very well, it's about identification, loyalty, about worship, and in Ezekiel 9, it was the writer's inkhorn who put a mark on their foreheads. So when the angels begin to begin uh, commence judgment and death as they sentence, uh, he saw those who had the mark of God, and he saw those who had not the mark of God. And, of course, when he saw the mark, the death angel would go and, and buy them and not harm them. And, of course, there was a untold amount of people killed, and it was so bad that uh, Ezekiel said, Oh, Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel and thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? It didn't look like there was hard to be anybody saved. And he was awestruck. He just couldn't believe it was going to be that, it was that bad. But that's the reality. And uh, that's where we are today uh, in the, uh, the nominal church. Doesn't preach anything. I had a lady uh, send me an email, I think it was this week. Her daughter had visited a church, either it was in the state of Utah or Colorado. And the pastor for the young married couples in their 30s, uh, had she said had such a potty mouth, it was unbelievable. And this guy claims he's a pastor. This is what this is what's out there, and this is why people can't find a good church. Because yeah. any man that would use that kind of language and then say I am a pastor and talk like that, as James Well said, sweet and bitter water cannot come out of the same well. You know. I know sometimes people get upset, lose their temper, say something, and they oftentimes regret having said it. But that's why we preach sanctification. You have to learn, as Paul said, I keep my body and bring it into subjection. We've got to learn to keep our bodies subjected to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God. And that's why you hear the phrase, this is the patience of the saints. You've got to keep your patience. And Jesus said in Luke 21, 19, in your patience. In your patience, possess ye your souls. And you can lose your patience, and you can lose your soul because you were hasty in uh, your reactions or whatever you may say or do, and it'd be very uh, destructive. Uh, there's been a lot of people who've done a lot of things, and as soon as they said, said it or did it, they said, oh, I wish I had never done that. But it's, you know, once it's done, it's done. 
you know, so that's why we're taught to, to have patience and be very patient, especially when you're dealing with your soul, because that's what Satan is after, cause you to lose your patience, and then he can get in there and find a place to get your soul. I hope that helps people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. We got a, a full bank of callers, so we're going to go to them. But one quick email, uh, one quick email question, Pastor, that I believe you you focused your message on this uh, either last week or the week before. The question is, how do you forgive yourself after accepting that you're a sinner and move on with what God wants you to do in your life? And if I could answer that, uh, there's nobody more forgiving than the Lord. You, you, you ask for forgiveness. You you continue to move forward in your relationship and walk with Him, and. Uh, you don't look back, and you might slip up here and there, but you just keep moving forward. And as you said, Pastor Langford, it's the, the, the demons and the devil that are those voices in your ear telling you you're not good enough. You can't, uh, you know, look what you did. How do you think you're going to be forgiven? That's that evil speaking to you. You know, Joe, people's got to remember, Paul the Apostle wrote 13 epistles. He, he was part of murdering people. You'll see the word hailing, H-A-L-I-N-G. That in the Greek means he was dragging people before the Sanhedrin. He was he had authority to do that. That's why he said, I was the chiefest of sinners. Don't think for a minute Paul did not have to forgive himself because the devil would do the same thing. You hypocrite, you. You stood right there and you held the garments. You held the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen. And now you think you're qualified to write Bible? But this is where, this is, this is the greatest forgiveness is Christ's forgiveness on our, you know when we ask him to forgive us. The second greatest act of forgiveness is when one can forgive themselves. Because everyone, everyone has something in their closet, a skeleton that they're ashamed of, they wish they had never said or done. I was having dinner with a couple the other night, my wife and I, and the young lady blurted out she'd had an abortion, and it just blew me away. But she felt trapped. She felt snared. But... You know, she wanted to get that out. She wanted to get that off of her chest. And uh, there's a lot of people done a lot of things. Uh, you can't go back. You can't correct it. You can't fix it. But you can for, you can be forgiven of it. But you also must forgive yourself because God does not hold you hostage. It's the devil who holds us hostage with condemnation. Very well said, Pastor. Let's go to some phone calls. As I see, the uh, board is lit up. We're going to go to Kauai Guy first. Thanks for calling. You're live on the Hagman Report with Pastor Langford. Hey, aloha, y'all. Aloha, Pastor. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I just, um, I've never heard something, a subject that's real close to my heart that I've studied for a long, long time. Um, is uh, the fulfillment of all the promises from, you know, Genesis 48 and 49, uh, from Jacob to the sons of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Uh, being fulfilled, and you know, and it kind of kills that whole replacement thing. You know, when you when you look at the facts and the history, you know, outside the scripture, even in the in, you know, just in the history. But um, I, I, um, yeah, what, can you? I'll, I'll write to you about it sometime. But um, yeah, can you address uh, you know the, the lost tribes, you know, so-called lost tribes? Thing in the fulfillment of the Abraham, or you know, the promises from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the happy Egyptian sons of Joseph. Yeah, well, you know, some of those things are to me are irrelevant because, as Paul said, they are not all Israel that calls themselves Israel. And from Genesis all the way to the Book of Revelation, God was perpetually 
uh, weaving in a Gentile, because in the end, he's going to have something that is a church. The church is not the replacement of Israel. I don't believe in replacement theology. Uh, and you have a lot of people who preach and teach that. But God is still yet to deal with Israel, because Israel still rejects Jesus as the Messiah, the Redeemer. Uh, again, that's in Romans 9 and 6, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Um, and then Paul goes on in the Romans 2 and 28, 29, he said, uh, we, are, we are Jews inwardly. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a very unusual statement. Uh, I'll get it here in a second. Romans 2, 28, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. So this was one of the conflicts, you know, trying to keep up with the genealogies, trying to keep up with the tribes, where are they, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, we know God's going to engrave in New Jerusalem the 12 tribes of Israel, and he's also on the gates, and then on the foundation, he engraves the 12 apostles' names. Now, I got all this in this new book that's getting ready to be released. He takes both Jews and Gentiles and makes them into one new man. He takes two, twain, and makes one new man. And this is the mystery of the church, the body of Christ. It's, it's so far-reaching, and it's, it, it's hard for a lot of people uh, to grasp that. But uh, Ephesians 2 and 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So God's not going to take a Jew and add him to a Gentile body. God's not going to take a Gentile and add him to a Jewish body. God's going to take both Jew and Gentile and add them unto his body. See? And, and that's why... Um, Paul, uh, in Galatians, he, he says it's neither male nor female. You know, uh, Galatians 3.20, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So, uh, as far as getting into the tribes and where are they, et cetera, et cetera, uh, I, just leave, I just don't go there because it's not relevant under the New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, it was, but under the New Covenant, it's, it's neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile, uh, but we are Christ. That was, that was the key verse, was Galatians 3.29. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Abraham was before the law, and though Jacob gave all of those prophecies, they all, for the most part, have come to pass, except when you start dissecting the blessing on Judah. Because Jesus is of the line of the tribe of Judah. I did a, a radio program on that some months ago. You might want to go back and see if you can find that on my website, on the Block Talk Radio, how it's tied together. And look for that uh, exegesis I did on that, because it's very interesting about how I tied that in with the book of Revelation, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I hope that helped you as well, my friend. Thanks for the call, Kawhi Guy. we got to move on. We're going to go to Mike in PA next. You're live with Pastor Langford. What's on your mind? Hey, Joe. First of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, Pastor Langford, it's an honor. Uh, I have a quick question, though, um, concerning the law. Uh, we're seeing, like, this move back towards the law. Um, 
you know, and they're trying to keep, you know, the, the ceremonial law, the Torah, and the, and the judicial law. And I'm just wondering, you know, uh, what's, what's your thoughts on that as far as going back under the law as Christians? Uh, I think it's uh, borderline blasphemy. What they're saying is what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. And that's this is where law is so full of works. And, you know, James said, I'll show you my faith by my works, my works by my faith. Romans 10, 4 says, Christ is the end of the law. Paul, this the whole book of Galatians, that was the whole purpose of writing it, was uh, to let them know. They, they were, see, they were trying to bring all the way back to circumcision. And it says in Galatians 2 that even, uh, uh, oh, what was his name? Barnabas. Barnabas got so carried away with their dissimulation. The word dissimulation there in uh, Galatians 2 and 13 is hypocrisy. He got so caught up with their, quote-unquote, hypocrisy, dissimulation, he said, hey, guys, circumcise me. Well, he was a Gentile. But no, the, Paul went on to say that no man is justified by his works of the law, but by faith. Uh, Galatians 3.11 the just shall live by faith. No man is justified by the law and the sight of God. No man. So, to me, that's really taking away from the vicarious, efficacious work that Jesus did on the cross. That was, you know, here again, we wouldn't even have that if we didn't have the Old Testament. We all would be living from a New Testament dispensation, but because we have the Old Testament, which holds a lot of Bible prophecy taking us into the New. But you got to remember, the promise, the covenant was before the law. You see, what you've got, you've got grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of God, the Bible says. Then you have a parenthetical time called law. Now we come back to, to grace. It's come full circle. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. So, for by grace are you saved through faith. The law could, as I tell people, you can read all Ten Commandments, all the ceremonial rites and everything. There's nothing that talks about redemption. Even the high priest, this is what was so tragic, the high priest that went in one time a year, had to keep making that sacrifice because it was never good enough. But when Jesus came, his blood was put on the Ark of the Covenant in the heavenlies, was once and for all, and then the blood uh, atones perpetually, continually. And that's why we ask the Father to forgive us in... I think we just lost Pastor Langford. We will <laughs> we will get him back. And... Um... Yeah, that's a, a a a great answer, Mike. We're gonna cut you loose. Thank you so much for the call and the question. Uh, we appreciate it, and we're going to move on to the next caller when we get Pastor Langford back. Don't forget, Pastor has his own show. The Voice of Evangelism is dot uh, com is the website. The Voice of Evangelism dot com, and the Voice of Evangelism radio show can be heard also on Blog Talk Radio. So make sure uh, if you have your your iTunes. Uh, and, and you like to listen to podcasts, you can go right to iTunes and find Pastor Langford's. And I'm it's, uh, all right. <laughs> I want to, I I, I'm sorry, I don't want to happen there. Uh, I, yeah. I want to finish that verse 
and First John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the perpetuation for our sins, not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus is our advocate. He is our go-between. That's why we, when we pray, we ask everything in Jesus' name, because he's the advocate. He's the go-between. Not the law, but what Jesus did on the cross. Because if the law was had been good enough, there would have been no reason for Christ to have been sacrificed and, I mean, died a brutal, brutal, brutal death uh, by being nailed to the cross. And uh, the law just could not fulfill God's demand for sin. Romans 8, 2, excuse me, Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do. Every person that practices or thinks they got, you know, to do something about the law, you need to remember, you need to memorize this verse. For what the law could not do, if you can't remember nothing, just that phrase, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh, he was not sinned or sinful, but in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemn sin in the flesh. So remember, for what the law could not do, I'll paraphrase that for you, the law couldn't save you. Next caller. Yeah, and, and you're right, Pastor Langford, and you know, just to, as a good example, when when Jesus uh, w- was uh, starting his ministry, the people, and for, I'm sure, centuries before this, the people worshipped the law so much, so they did not even recognize uh, the Messiah, and you could see how how that you know is was a problem. Uh, they were so Absolutely. dogmatic about the law that they didn't even understand that the Savior uh, was amongst them. So, Amen, Amen. The letter have, kills, but the Spirit gives life. Go ahead. We have Kathy in Texas. Thanks for holding, Kathy. You're live with Pastor Langford. Hi, Pastor Langford. I have like two questions. Uh, is water baptism a requirement for heaven? And also, when it talks about the Great Tribulation, three and a half years, that if those days weren't shortened for the elect's sake, does that mean that we will not, the Great Tribulation will be less than three and a half years? Thank you. Okay. Water baptism. Uh, no, you don't have to have be water baptized to be saved. Let me give a quick passage of Scripture. Uh, in uh, Luke chapter 7. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he's talking to to uh, a Pharisee, and he says to him, uh, Simon, let's begin at verse uh, 44. He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Sist thou this woman, I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil, thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. No water baptism. But yet he tells her, Jesus, the Son of the living God, tells her, you are saved. Hey, that clears it up for me. Jesus said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Secondly, if I understand her question, Kathy's question right, 
we've been taught there are two uh, parenthetical time frames in the Great Tribulation. We have two, three, and one-half-year periods. I disagree with that. There's only one three and one-half year period. That's why you hear all tribulationists say, well, we don't know much about what takes place in the first three and one-half years. That's because, from my biblical understanding, I've concluded Jesus got the first half of Daniel's 70th week. Then Messiah was cut off. Then, when the Antichrist is revealed, those last 42 months, 1,260 days, or time, that's one, times... It's two, now we have three, and then it says half a time. The last 42 months, the last three and one half years will commence once the Antichrist is revealed. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3, 6, and 8 speaks expressly about the man of sin being revealed. It's like a statue that someone has made, and they put a sheet over it. Nobody knows what this statue looks like, and there's this great anticipation. And when they pull the sheet off, Everybody gets to see the statue, who it is, what it is, etc., etc. This will be what will take place when the Antichrist sits in the temple and declares himself to be God. That will be the revealing. And that, that means to, the Greek word there, uh, means to unveil. God's going to take away the veil. And here's the key. Only the Christians will recognize it for what it is. You know, we, we talk about Matthew 24 often, a lot of times, and your pre-tribbers will take Matthew 24, preach from it all the time, but when you try to nail their doctrine to the wall, it's like jello. Some parts are for Jews and Israel, some parts are for the church. Well, you've got to remember, Jesus is privately talking to his disciples. He went out mm-hmm. from the temple, he sat down, they came up to him, they said, Lord, Tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? Then in verse 15 he says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. And then in parentheses in most Bible it says, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Now Jesus said, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. He's telling us, we're going to see it. Now, my pundits will say, no, nope, that's for the Jews. Folks, if the Jews are blind, how are they going to understand this? They only see in part. They're blind in part. So they, they're, not, they're not totally blind. But blindness in part. And in the Greek, that means partial blindness. Say, the, the, finally the scales will come off. And when all hell breaks loose in the Middle East, uh, they'll turn back and say, he was the Messiah. He was the Redeemer. But... Uh, you know, this, this is something I will say. We'll go to the next question. Watch what the Trump administration does concerning the embassy moving from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That is very key because the Islamic world will go freak out on everybody because that means there is only one statehood. Trump said some weeks ago he didn't care if there's one state or two states. That shows his naivety and what they're trying to accomplish, because he's not been indoctrinated by the New World Order uh, to understand why it's important that Jerusalem ultimately becomes divided. That's what they want. He said, I don't care if it's one state or two states. That showed his naivety. Remember Obama and all of them, Bush, Carter, all of them. Let's go back to the 67 borders. Uh, And and, and so it's been like that from from the get-go. And so if you see 
America move our United States Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, that is, that's going to ratchet up, escalate things greatly. I mean greatly. Uh, because that's yeah. just another sign. Because remember, according to Daniel chapter 11, the Antichrist must come into Israel, and it says he's going to set his temple up, or his palace, or palatial, the Hebrew says his palatial uh, tent, between the glorious mountains and the sea, which is the Mediterranean Sea in New Jerusalem, or uh, Jerusalem, I said New Jerusalem, I meant Jerusalem. Uh, Daniel eleven forty five. he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. So all this has to come to fruition for him to be able to do what Daniel said he was going to do. Okay, hope that helped her. Yeah, uh, and thank you for that, Pastor. And, and I do have an additional question, but we'll wait uh, for that because we have two callers still, and we want to okay. make sure we get to them. Stacy in Georgia, thanks for the call. You're live with Pastor Langford. Oh, thank you so much. I've waited weeks to get in to talk to you guys. I'm Joe. I said a prayer for you and your family. Pastor Langford, my son, my oldest son, passed away unexpectedly. Um, he... Uh, he was a heroin addict, and I had sent him to a Christian rehab, and they had cleared him after months of being clean. And um, he had read, rededicated himself to Christ, and uh, five days later, he overdosed and died. And um, my heart is not okay, because I don't know where my son is, and I don't know if it is something that God for, could forgive. And... Um, I'm going to have to live the rest of my life not knowing, you know, my son, who I raised in a Christian church, if uh, where he is. Can you help well, me with this? Uh, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, you know, most people, I've concluded, most people who overdose, it's, it's, it's not on purpose. It's an accident. I know. Uh, I don't consider that to be suicide. Uh, and, and I tell people this. At that point in time, if anybody can show mercy and grace, God can. When anyone goes out into eternity, I, my ability to show compassion, love, forgiveness is in, has ended. But it does not end in Christ, because he judges the hearts. He judges the spirits of every man. I, I can't judge the spirit of every man. You know, it could have been no more than a mere accident. You know, he didn't mean to do that. And God knows the heart. As we all remember... At the end of the day, God looks at a person's heart. Um, and I'm not the judge. God gives space for repentance. We know that according to Revelation chapter 3. How long is the space? I don't know. You know, uh, he may have said, you know, God forgive me right before he died, like the thief on the cross. You know, he said, you know, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus said, today shalt thou be with me into paradise. And, and both men died. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's in the hands of God. Uh, and, and God is a righteous God and a just God and a forgiving God and a merciful God. So I would just encourage you. We'll pray for you, but I want to encourage you. Just trust him in the Lord's hand. He, he's in God's hands. And though we may not understand everything, and I know we don't, uh, I promise you God Almighty will and has done the right thing, whether I agree with it, whether you agree with it. This is the key. You, you love your son. I uh, had another dear sister just a while back. Her her son committed suicide. Uh, we don't know. We we don't know the state of mind. We don't know what happened. Did they trip out, flip out, whatever the case might be? We don't know. 
But I do know this, that God is long-suffering, God is merciful, and God is just. That's why Abraham in Genesis 19.25, or 18.25, he said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? Abraham was confident that God, no matter how wicked Sodom and Gomorrah was, he would do that which is right. And that's why when Abraham got down to ten, if there are ten righteous in the city, will you spare it? And God said, if there's ten righteous. So it just shows the long-suffering and the mercy of God. So I hope that helped you somewhat, Stacy. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. You too. Stacy. thanks for the call. You have a great evening. All right. We have caller Betty. Betty from Texas. You're live on the Hagman Report. Hey, Betty. Hi, Pastor Lankford. I, I love listening to you. I have a question for you. Um, why does God give some people supernatural events that open their eyes and lead them to the Lord and other people don't get these supernatural uh, events. You know, you know Betty, what I'm talking about? Yes, that's, uh, that's God's sovereignty. And as, as the Holy Spirit, as God has willed, the Holy Spirit manifests himself in what we call the administration of the gifts of the Spirit. And that's at God's discretion. You know, why was Joseph the one to have the dreams and to see the future, and the other 11 brothers were never afforded that? Now, that's where we get into predestination. That's where we get into election. And, and none of us have anything to do with that. That is all solely on God's part, see? Uh, now, 1 Corinthians 12 and 7, Paul said, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. So it's according as God has willed that he shows people things. Uh, I've had visitations from God, dreams, uh, visions, it, 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 you know, and other people see things I don't see. Uh, the apostles got different revelation, got different words. They were unctioned by the same spirit, though. It was God-ordained. Uh, and so it's, I, I don't, I can't answer that, you know, in my humanistic mind, why does God do this? It's, it's, it's God's will, it's God's privilege. You know, uh, uh, sometimes as parents, we uh, may show a little more favoritism toward another child when we know that's not right. But for whatever reason, uh, there's a, a more of a conciliatory, a benevolent spirit there toward that child. Why? Are they, were they better children? Were they more loving? Were they more affectionate? Were they more helpful? Well, I, it's hard to say. We, we, we all love our children. But uh, I found myself guilty at times of... Uh, being more benevolent to one than the other. And in my heart, I'm saying that's of my humanity. It's not fair. It's not just. But it, it, it's all by love. But it's only as God wills it and why he's chosen certain. Just like Paul the Apostle. You couldn't have chosen in the natural a worse man than Paul to be the one to get the revelation and to get the understanding and the interpretation 
of the mystery of the church, which had been hidden in all other previous ages, Paul said, until it was revealed unto him. I mean, uh, Ephesians 3, 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, and it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So in the Old Testament, Isaiah prophesied about Christ's coming, uh, his brutal death, marred, mutilated, spat upon, beard plucked, you name it. He didn't see it. He didn't know when it was going to happen. God gave him a measure, a revelation, but then he concealed a measure of that revelation. And then so Paul says, talking about in other ages, was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So it's strictly how God sees it. I, I think, too, uh, has a lot to do with how men will use God's gifts. You know, some people use them for, and abuse them for monetary purposes, notoriety, uh, trying to give themselves a, a greater platform so they, they claim they're having visitations, they claim they're having dreams, and none of the stuff they have ever comes to fruition. So it's, it's just a, it's baloney. You know, but many false prophets shall rise. But God, at the end of the day, it's his choice. I have nothing to do with that. Romans eleven twenty nine. the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. If God wants to gift a person in a certain area, and we have the right to try that. First uh, John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit, whether it be of God. For many false prophets are going out into the world. Uh, you and I as Christians have the right to try anyone's prophecy. Even Paul said to the church at Crete, let the prophets be subject to the prophets. So, you know, uh, people who have the real spirit of God, it doesn't take them long to discern the error and, and some of the things that are said, some of the things. I mean, we hear it. This is what keeps the Christians confused. Well, so-and-so said, you know, God told them this, God told them that, and it never comes to that. I, you wouldn't believe the emails I got. Uh, before the election, that Obama get him too. Yep. Yeah, yeah, would would not leave office. Him and Hillary would co-preside in the presidency. One guy called me or sent me an email, and this Glenda Jackson, her, her spirit, his spirit had the same identical revelation. Well, yeah, it was a demonic revelation, sir. If you're listening tonight, because it didn't come to pass. But again, what's the motive behind some of this? It's for notoriety. It's for popularity. Sergius Paulus. You know, done the same thing to Paul the Apostle, and he called him a child of the devil and said, you're going to be blind for a season because you're perverting the truth of God, and you're corrupting the, the God and his word and the work that God's trying to accomplish. And, uh, and they had to lead him around for days uh, blind uh, because he sought to turn the truth into a lie was what he was actually trying to do. And uh, so, uh, again, Betty, I hope I helped you. It's, it's according to God's discretion who he wants to reveal those things. And like I said, during the time of the end, you're going to see more and more and more falsehoods. And uh, that's why I'm so careful about saying, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that, the Lord showed me this, the Lord showed me that. I don't want to ever put any of my junk on the Lord's back uh, because I was you know, vain and, and, and arrogant and trying to make a point or prove a point. Uh, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus, the Lord's Christ. Do we have any more callers, Joe? No, we don't. We're done, Pastor, and we only got about uh, 30 seconds left. And okay. uh, next time we talk, I'll ask you the question. The question I wanted to ask you it was on the, the Daniel 1,290 days, 1,260 days, whatever that was. 
There's an additional, it says, but the, you know, blessed are those who make it to the 1335. Maybe next time we can get into that. So. Okay, maybe. I'm going to encourage Take everyone to pray for your mom and dad. Uh, so remember them in prayer, folks, and God bless you. We'll all, we'll see you all next week. God bless you, Pastor Lanford. Thank you so much, uh, for the prayers and for, for joining us tonight for another great show. Thanks to everybody who called and emailed. Uh, we look forward to your questions always, and we thank you for the, the questions and the feedback. That'll do it for us tonight. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening. 